<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Revely, revely, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Levity, levity indeed, folks. It's time for the best damn combat sports show, period. Yes, it's morning combat. It's Friday, May 21st, 2021. I did get that date correctly. Uh, my name is Brian Campbell of CBS Sports and Showtime, a very beige bastard himself right here. You know me. Do you like me? It's up to you. But I know you like this show. Morning combat, the best thing going today. And a lot of that is because of that surly bastard next to me. He only drinks coffee at midnight when the moment is not right. His timing is quiet. Yes, unusual. It's Luke Thomas of the same channels. Uh, Luke, we're back at it. Orange background, no Jay Friday, ready to set the stage for the fight weekend to come. How the hell are you, brother? I am okay. I actually saw two friends of mine I hadn't seen in two years yesterday partly the pandemic was one issue one of them moved to europe and was only back because well you know it's uh right it's not a great time to live in europe it, well depending on where you live i suppose where he lives in switzerland it blows and so uh he was like you know what why don't i just go back to los estados unidos for the summer let's just go back for the summer get vaccinated see some friends see some family i saw him for the first time in two years last night so you know what man doing good bro i'm doing really good i hope hear. you're doing you good know, too it does replenish the soul when you connect with old friends although full disclosure when you said two friends you hadn't seen in a while i know you've been losing weight i thought you were talking about your your uh your twig and berries there i know when you said <laughs> you know, I, mean, you know, I was gonna i was gonna shout you out right there but uh no but, uh, not, nothing quite say, like that nothing quite like that but i'm doing good man i hope you're doing good too yeah, fired up for a great show, Luke. I'm not going to throw stones at any glass houses because how many times does my wife do the laundry and say, I'm not seeing a lot of your clothes. I know you work from home. Are you showering? But, Luke, I did wear this shirt last night. I know you wore the same shirt for Wednesday's MK and Thursday's live chat. So no, no, no. This is new. This is new. It's the same company. Shout outs to Notorious Bastards, but uh, it's a new shirt. All right, hopefully you, you deodorized and you're ready for action today. Uh, look, it is Morning Combat Light. We mentioned uh, like and subscribe, please, this video because, uh, wow, what a time to be alive. This is the greatest year of your life. The world's opening back up. Luke and I are going to hit the road for some big-time fights in the near future. Make sure you are getting in on what we're doing. Three live shows per week, the best interviews in the game, live chats, fight breakdowns, dissected wow remember that uh, a lot of great things okay are going to be in your face uh, in your face hole so follow us on the socials below and wow just get ready for what's coming your way um i didn't want to talk about merch until these people come through but it's not all these people's fault all right it's sitting on the desk of someone in legal at the moment but we are very close to the launch of merch 2.0 so when it happens you'll know about it first i am sorry for this extended tease right it's like when you're you know watching a 90s B-movie on Cinemax late at night, and you're like, 
you know, if only someone could tell me how much longer I have to wait for the good scenes here. You know what I'm saying, Luke? Soon. But for now, go to store.show.com and you can wear great stuff, great fitting stuff like this that you can sleep in and not shower and wear the next day. So get that merch 1.0 when you can. Also, uh, do, are we still peddling Showtime subscriptions, Manich? Can you can you update me on that? Yeah, I, I don't know if we still. I don't. I, I think they got rid of the URL for the Bellator five bucks a month thing. I don't know about right, that. We'll don't quote a, me on that. But uh, get a taste test of thirty uh, days free on Showtime. Just the same at Showtime.com. What do you get in there? Come on, bro. You already know this. Great shows, movies, documentaries. Uh, outcry remember that jam right there how about you're also getting championship boxing the only place in the world where you can catch or at least in the states where you can catch bellator mma so please jump on board with where our folks are going there uh they got they got some new people coming to showtime soon too as well so uh if that's your cup of tea buckle up we'll find out if it's luke's cup of tea here at the end of this show uh just the same uh lt anything else i should be uh, publicizing here i don't always read the rundown um, I think that's it. We, we're going to have a busy week next week. So, you know, we'll have a fun show today. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Sorry. There will be no live show on Memorial Day. So we're going to do a mailbag episode. How do you get a question into the mailbag? Simply, you leave a review on Apple Podcasts for us. We know that we are gaming the system when we do that. We know Is that. that we know that we are... Haven't we proven that that doesn't work anymore, Luke? Or are we still going so down there? Mike, so the producer, Mikey, told me that while we did have only the four for Room Service Diaries, we didn't put it out in, uh, ahead enough time because later on we had another 20 that showed up or something like that, and we missed it because we didn't give it enough lag time. Now we're going to give it enough lag time. Apple Podcasts. Leave a question for us there in a review. Five stars would be nice, and when you do, we'll pick that out. We'll do a whole mailbag episode around it. Love it. Love it there. Love it. Look, I was hoping you were going to wear your Royal Madrid jersey today just to try to. Yeah, I was supposed to, but I forgot. But maybe on Monday. Okay. Okay. Shout out to that. Just the same there. Um, all right. That's about it. I, I, I'm BC and I'm ready to get you fired up for the weekend to come. We love it when BC hosts on Friday, right? It's so smooth and efficient. There's less arguing. It's very handsome. Uh, yeah. It's like, dude, arguing is good for the bit. show. Arguing is good for the show. Uh, we're going to start off, of course, with the fights coming your way. Saturday, how about this? UFC Fight Night from Las Vegas. A very good Bantamweight main event that maybe has gone under the radar a bit this week with other big headlines in the world of combat sports. Cody Garbrandt is back, fresh from an aborted mission down to flyweight for the title and obviously a well-documented and extended battle with COVID-19. The former Bantamweight champion will be taking on a red-hot Rob Font. And Luke, we talked a bit about the storylines coming in on Wednesday. You know Friday's more about the X's and O's and there's nobody I respect uh, more than you in that regard. They're about even. Maybe Cody Garbrandt a slight favorite here uh, and the betting odds both in the negative both in the minus so to speak here from our friends at william hill how does rob font win this fight which you can argue would be the biggest of his career and continue this march toward bantamweight title supremacy i think two different things are going to be key in this matchup bc one the jab for rob font that's just if he can't get the jab going i think it's going to be very very hard for him to win why he has a good jab and a lot of his offense comes from his jab so naturally it's just a way he fights to win but more than that when you look at the differentials not a huge difference in height they've got him listed both at five eight 
not a huge difference in average fight time. They both go about nine minutes, 9.06 for Rob Font, 8.57 for Cody Garbrandt, right in the same line. Not too far apart in age, four years, but nothing too significant. There are some other differences in the numbers, but the big one that stands out to me, BC, a 71-inch reach for Rob Font, a 65-inch reach for Cody Garbrandt. Now, he can make that up by explosive hand speed, by getting in and out of the pocket quickly, but he does have a six-inch reach disadvantage there. For a guy with a good jab and that kind of advantage, and, and, this is the key for Rob Font, great footwork, good lateral movement. Dude, that's a winnable scenario behind which you could put your own offense, disrupt his rhythm, set the tone. The other part, BC, is I didn't realize this. Cody Garbrandt has a 100% takedown defensive rate, and I was like, that's weird because I, I know he's got good wrestling, but I didn't know it was that good, so I went through his record. It all comes from basically three fighters. Dominic Cruz tried seven, and he failed. TJ Dillashaw tried once, zero. Pedro Munoz tried once, and zero. What's the common denominator there? The last two, of course, they won the fight. I don't think it has anything to do with the takedown or not, but I'm just pointing out, if you look at the totality, no one even attempted a takedown on this guy until he fought Dominic Cruz in his UFC career. It's kind of wild. So I'm not going to say it's like completely untested, but I will say Rob Font averaging 1.2 takedowns per 15 minutes. I wonder if that might play a role a little bit here. So um, I, you mentioned it. It's a damn near pick and we're pretty close. I can see why, dude. Big trade-offs on either side, but uh, Rob Font has a winnable situation, I'll say. And look, whatever you believe, Cody Garbrandt's current stock to be and obviously that could be all over the place you know he had the three fight losing skid and the whole idea of is the chin gone and the confidence gone and then he comes back and blows away a sun sow and you're like I think he's back then he battles uh COVID and he's out for a long time and has legitimate physical things to overcome so regardless his name still matters a lot if Font gets a win here I mean that's that's the kind that you make those big leaps deep into the the front end of the top 10 he's won three in a row Rob Font he's won four or five there are big names in that win streak and what I really like Luke is uh he seems to want he he wants to be great you can really see it in him uh you know a confidence in a, in a willingness to to do what it takes to get to that level it makes him a very dangerous out coming into this fight uh, it's hard to, to focus on Garbrandt, obviously, without bringing up those same questions I mentioned. When you watch, and obviously, look, the COVID thing and a lot of that and the time away, we have no idea what version of Cody Garbrandt we're going to see on Saturday. But he's still on the good side of 30 at 29. And we did see a return of a commanding, powerful performance against Asun Sao, delivering one of the best, you know, walk-off, highlight reel, knockout-of-the-year type contender moments. In that fight, Luke, if you're going to judge it on that, did you see enough to, to assume that the the issues have been repaired from that three-fight losing skid where, yes, he lost to Super Elite guys, but especially in the Pedro Munoz fight, he kind of just fell apart game plan-wise, too willing to stand and slug, not carrying out a game plan. Are you confident coming in here that Cody can still be Cody and this isn't like a hen and brow situation where once you fall off that cliff, you never climb back up? Yeah, I don't know if it's the Hen and Burrell thing. I, I mean, I think the rebound against Eslan Sal was pretty big evidence that whatever was plaguing him in the, well, at least the two fights prior, if not the three, um, was not a situation he was going to labor under for the rest of his career if he didn't want to. Now, there's still questions to, that, you, that you wisely raise, which is, okay, but what happens if someone puts it on him? Right, because that fight was very careful, very calculated. Both guys thinking, not a ton of action, 
little bit of exchanging back and forth. It was a pace where you could indulge that more thinking, rational, creative side, perhaps, of fighting rather than the aggressive kind of just go-for-broke style. So we haven't really seen anyone put it on him. But also, to your point, like, does does the COVID thing matter a lot or does it matter not at all? Again, a lot of people get COVID. COVID's wild, right? Because it's so insanely inconsistent person-to-person in every kind of way with symptoms and how long they last. This guy probably had a, not that bad of a case, but he exacerbated it by continuing to train, getting vertigo and stuff like that. So, like, there is, I'll say this. I don't believe that he is trapped in a scenario like what Woodley's in or what Ferguson in where, where, where you know, your contemporaries have caught up with you, your place is diminishing. There's this weight of the, of the bad side of, or the bad parts of your career that are beginning to hold you down. I don't think he's got any of those but that there are a sufficient amount of other questions. One, some remaining unanswered. Others about this new wrinkle. Yeah, it makes it. That's why. That's why this fight is a pick'em. Rob Font has done well, but never against this kind of fighter. But is this kind of fighter still this kind of fighter? He looked good last time. Well, we'll see this time. Yeah, and, and I think you're right to say. You know, like we we don't know with COVID. I mean, like I had something. You know, it may have been COVID model eighteen and a half, Luke. We don't know what the hell I had <laughs> back on that drinking show. But you, you know, had, I could, you had COVID. You one hundred percent had COVID without being out of breath. And I still feel, even though I'm not an athlete, not a pro athlete, I'm a wash dad who is uh, not rebounded well from the co- from the uh, the quarantine in terms of consistent exercise. Although I'm working on it, I'm working on it. Um, I do have this like weird fear, Luke, that when I do go on the Peloton bike or go for a run, when I hit that first hill of fatigue, I, I, I'm scared that I'm not going to be able to regain it. I'm scared that I'm not going to be the same. Mm. So I want to have respect for pro fighters who have gone through this and we don't know any lingering thing. But that's the physical side. How much of Cody's issues from the Cruz fight and winning the championship to the I slide see. that came and then the rebound in against Asuncao do you believe was more mental than anything else? Yeah, that was totally mental. I think he was in, you know, look, man, he had the same is true for it's amazing. Adesanya did as well as he did, because remember, Cody Garbrandt went from unranked to champion basically in a calendar year, right? I mean, that's just absolutely crazy. Now, he was obviously on the cusp of being ranked at the beginning of that year, which is what enabled him to make those moves. But still, unranked to champion in basically a, a year's time, four fights or so, that's just, it's just insane. So then to follow that up, it's going to be really, really difficult. Plus, that division is just piping hot, as we now know. We knew it then, but I mean, everything since then has only confirmed that. You know, So you see what Adesanya did is where he becomes champion very quickly, and then he has to maintain that over time. You get a new respect for how fucking hard that is. It's extremely, extremely difficult. So to me, um, you know... He exacerbated the the challenges that he was encountering, which were formidable no matter what. I think he made them worse by some of the things he was doing. But he had the one fight with Almeida, who I have profound respect for, and Mark Henry as well, of course, an amazing trainer. Um, he already showed some of the fruits of that labor. Now he has another camp with them, perhaps even more training beyond that, baked into the system. Again, it's we we really need to see what it looks like when someone is cooking him a little bit, right? Like, what does he do when he's getting hit like that? Because I still feel like internally he's gonna he's gonna just recoil and throw. And maybe that's not the end of the world either. I just want to see what it looks like. But I do believe that whatever caused him problems, let's say in the the Munoz fight, which was really where you begin to see the wheels just come off the experiment a little bit. I I don't believe he is stuck in that place. 
He might be stuck to certain parts of it, which we don't know what they are or if they're still there. But in general, I, I, I believe that I believe that we have an athlete capable and already showed some of the reformation that we are, we're hoping to see. I agree with that. And I, and I refuse to go back and try to take away from, let's say, his win over Cruz and say, okay, was that the perfect opponent at the perfect time who maybe was you know, battling more injuries than he was willing to admit and Cruz isn't a big power puncher, so did that give him the perfect platform to deliver what was a brilliant, near-perfect performance over five rounds? I, I don't want to discount that because you know, maybe he, he fell into some of the mental challenges that can happen in this game. You get to be the champion too early and you're not ready for it and maybe you're not, you know, staying in the same level of training and preparation that you need to. Obviously, the the wars with Dillashaw from a uh, emotional standpoint, trash-talking standpoint, can take you out of your game at times. Maybe that's what led into the Munoz fight where he's just like, F it, I'm going to prove to everybody that I'm still that guy, and then he got caught for it. So I, I still think that there's a, a bright window for him here, Luke, and I want to ask you what's specifically at stake here. Uh, Rob Font ranked third. He's on a three-fight win streak. If he wins, I mean, God, he's right there. He's right there at the doorstep of a title shot. What about Garbrandt, though? Let, let, let's break it down like this. I'm looking at the UFC rankings. Aljo's the champ, but he's got unfinished business with Jan, who's ranked number one. Number two is Corey Sandhagen. I think he's going back in against Dillashaw again. You got five Aldo and eight Munoz who appeared to be matched up against each other soon. Marais going in the other direction. Who knows about Frankie Edgar at seven? If Cody Garbrandt at four wins against Rob Font, which would be a great win, is he next? After Aldo and uh, in 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 uh, I'm sorry. After Aljo and Jan figure that out, or is it more of hey, if Sanhagen wins, he might he might jump in front of him, or do we do Sanhagen against Cody? What the hell's going to happen here, Luke? Yeah, so interesting. Before we get to that, real quickly, are you? Uh, I know. So, if you folks who don't know, Connecticut, as I understand it, you can tell me better. It's kind of the state is kind of split, where the north side of the state, they're all like Boston sports fans. And then, like, yes. the south side of the state, I think I got that right, they're all, like, New York fans. Is that right? Well, the, yeah. The closer you go to New York in the bottom left corner, it's, it's uh, you know, 90% Yankees fans. And then right. the more you do go you out remember, into the open. Do you remember the knuckleballer who, in the aughts, played for, who's a pitcher, obviously, for the Red Sox, Tim Wakefield? Of course. Okay. To go back to your point about the Cruz and the Garbrandt fight, you're right about all those conditions that you had mentioned. I remember I interviewed him, I think, before that fight or the one prior to that. And Dominic Cruz was telling me at the time he was Botoxing the bottom of his, of his feet because they were in such pain. He had to numb it out so he could finish training. I mean, just crazy lengths he was going to to, to, to try something. Um, it felt like the first time you ever saw Tim Wakefield get shelled when Cody Garbrandt went through it. Because when Tim Wakefield was on, he had this spell over a lineup, and they couldn't find a – they could never make contact with this off-speed movement. They just couldn't do it. And he would just sometimes just run over them. When Cody beat Cruz, it was big because it was for the title and everything, but it was more that he just deflated the balloon. He was like the guy who went up against Wakefield and hit it into the upper deck, and he was like, I've got your number. That's what it felt like to me, which is why it was special. As for the contendership, dude – I don't. I mean, what happened to Aljo has fucked everything up because it, there was a there was an order that was supposed to happen. Plus, now of course, Garbrandt and um, uh, excuse me, what am I saying? Dillashaw and Sandhagen got delayed. I still think, I still think that if Corey Sandhagen wins, no doubt in my mind, he should be the next title contender. If Dillashaw wins, I think, and and Garbrandt wins, I think that's actually open to debate because Garbrandt, after having those losses, would have had 
two of them at that point dillashaw would have had his first loss since becoming champion right at that point too so or uh, oh, sorry we didn't have a win at that point so he would sorry he would still have never lost if if a dillashaw wins uh since becoming bantamweight champion but again for me I would, I'd say, if depending on who they wins, I would say for me, I'm going to go number one, Sandhagen, probably two Garbrandt, and then three Dillashaw is how I would rank it. But that does Dillashaw agree with that? Probably not, you know? And Font would be inserted into the elite title discussion, but I think would have a right. harder time, obviously, name value-wise and Garbrandt to leap right into the middle of that. He's probably going to have to prove himself. BC, don't you time. agree? Don't you agree? The value of this fight is not necessarily the bantamweight placement. You'll be high somewhere, but there's a lot of complicating factors about which way it could go as your question arises to. Don't you think that the value in this fight is that if you're Garbrandt, ton of questions still swirling, he can answer them. Dude, if you're Rob Font, this is the fight of your career yes. by far. And I think if you're Sean O'Malley, you'll be high somewhere, too, if you're following his Instagram closely as well. Uh, Luke, I did want to mention there... Um, uh, or did I, Luke? Or did I just want to have a brain fart on live podcasting and just go nowhere and just stare into the camera awkward? It happens, probably, bro. I've been there a million times. Probably where we are headed, just the same there. Uh, so F that, I indeed. But looking forward to this fight. Oh, I know it now. If I'm Team Garbrandt, uh, dude, I'm not going to flyweight. So so let's not talk about that again. I don't see the, the value there unless you're just like, I'm on the outside looking into the title picture at Bantamweight, and I just want to touch the gold now. Too big of a risk. Didn't you just watch Dillashaw do that? Let's never speak of that again, but let's give Cody Garbrandt his fighting chance on Saturday to prove that the Munoz fight was not an aberration and that this is the direction he's going. And what you love about this fight is he may be going in that direction and still end up losing because Font is looking that good. Luke, transitioning to that co-main event that you and I both love, the Cookie Monster, the inaugural women's strawweight champion, Carla Esparza. She may be a split decision machine, Luke, but she's she's lingered and won some big fights. She's in there against, can you pronounce it correctly? Because you've been on a run with that, Luke. No, bro. I, I, I am fucking this up wildly. Yan Xiaonan, but I mean, you know, that's probably the worst pronunciation possible. Okay, well, I'll, it's probably better than what I have. I love her as a fighter here, Luke. This is your co-main event. We know the women's strawweight division always delivers. It's big. You kind of get the feeling like whoever wins here is going to be at the, in a, a seat at the table in the title discussion moving forward after Rose took the title back from Whaley. We don't know if Rose Whaley rematches next. It would be hella good. Ioana's in the picture. There's always big business in this division. Styles-wise, though, Luke, what are you looking for in this one? This is going to be a really interesting one. Yan Xiaonan, uh, a lot taller than Carla Esparza. Why is that relevant? Because Esparza, level changing, getting low. Not a huge difference in height, 5'5 five, five versus 5'1, but that can play a role. And so I think, and you got a guy, a person like, uh, excuse me, a, 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 a fighter like, whatever her last name is, Yan or Xiaonan, I forget how the Chinese do it, but like Yan, who, um, you know, can fight tall. If she needs to, dude, super high volume. Listen to these numbers. 6.42 strikes landed per minute, folks. That is, I mean, if you see four next to someone's name, they have high output. Five is, I mean, very unusual. Mid six is like, that's the, the, there's probably a handful of fighters who are ranked who have numbers like that. She does take a fair amount to 3.63. Uh, but if you look at Carla Esparza, 2.29 strikes landed, 2.85 absorbed. Um, she's a little bit more even-keeled and judicious with the offense. So to me, really, kind of classic striker versus grappler. Yan Xiaonan, good in the clinch, as you can see, good at range. Uh, is going to be, obviously, a lot more upright. She has decent takedown defense at 75%. 
Um, but that's really what it's going to come down to, honestly. And I think that Yan Shanan is up for the challenge, especially early. Carla Esparza, dude, would you not agree? When she's really overmatched, you see it. But she yes. is surprisingly resilient. She is, Luke. And I and I don't I don't want to like harp on the close calls that she's had where I might not have agreed. So she's 33 years old. She's actually won four in a row. When you look closely, there's Alexa Grasso, there's Michelle Watterson, and there's Marina Rodriguez in that run. Now, all three of those fights are disputed. One majority, two split. But, you know, four in a row after the back-to-back -back losses to Gadelha and Tatiana Suarez has shown you that she's not in, she's been able to sort of reinvent and hang at this elite level. We know she's got a great motor, Luke. We know that she's tough as nails. Again, I mean, she, she held the first title in 2014, although that was so long ago in the development of this division and the women's game as a whole. And we know that version of Rose was far from a finished product. But she still came out of that tough season, the champion. I never thought she would get back to this point. And what I mean by this point is, I think with her history from Ro with Rose, Luke, there's a chance if she wins here and she looks good doing it, she might get the next title shot just because of that history of their first fight and the idea of inaugural champion rematch against the current one. I know there's other factors, you know, like Joanna, like Whaley, like the Yao Shanan wins. I mean, you know, who knows? Maybe she gets rushed in there. We don't know. But I didn't think Esparza was going to get back to this point. So I want to give her all that credit. She's a hard worker. But Luke, does she have the upper bound limits to do anything more than pull off a close disputed decision in your eyes? Because you're going to have to do that to take the championship in 2021. No, I, I, here, here's, the, here's the good part and the bad part of her fights. She, I think, can outperform what her overall damaging offensive ability is by virtue of control. The downside of that is if she can't get the control, there's just not enough damaging offense to really matter. Like, you don't see vicious ground and pound. She has some decent strikes, but you never see her. I don't know if she's ever, does she ever knock an opponent down with straight punches? I mean, maybe it's happened, but it's not, it's not especially frequent. Um, she does have some submissions, obviously, but she's not, you know, She's not going to jump guillotine or lace up a, a Darce out of nowhere. She's not that kind of a threat. But she has very good, very underrated, patient wrestling. She has good control on top. She has enough offense behind that to win rounds. And that's formidable enough. It just doesn't make her, like, insanely dangerous. But it does make her a real threat. I will say that. And, again, here's the other part. Like, obviously, dude, you know, Yanshan Nan is the quietest top contender maybe in the UFC. What is she ranked third or fourth in that division? Dude, if you win this, it's not just what it means for title implications or anything else. Carla Esparza is tough to beat. Now, the very, very good ones can do it. And sometimes, you know, with relative, maybe ease is a strong word, but you can see that there's levels to this. But I don't think folks should underestimate what it would mean for someone like this, who isn't well known, who still might want to be tested a little bit, to pass this kind of a test. It would be Yan Xiaonan really sort of point of no return into the very, very elite of that division in a way that everybody might recognize. I just think we need to see an, a, a higher gear out of Carla Esparza to, to get the title shot, to have a chance at winning it. She's really good, to your point, when the terms are in her favor and going her way. She's solid. You can't dominate her. She's going to be in that fight. But to get over that hill, I certainly look at Yan Chaonan's recent run with more confidence. And Luke, she hasn't lost in the UFC 6-0. Those last three fights, though, unanimous decisions over Angela Hill, Karolina Kovalkiewicz, and, and Claudia Gadelha. So that, those are solid-ass wins. 
do you think the 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 aspect of being a Chinese fighter, Luke, could could help push her here if she gets a big win here? Yeah, of course, right? Don't they want to open up that market? I mean, I don't know exactly to what extent any one fighter is the key to that, but the, the you know having stars that you can or fighters that are high level that they can market that is not a problem. That is a good thing to have. Big opportunity here uh, for both. Let's be honest with that. Love this fight. Love this division. Luke, talk to me the rest of the way here. Give me a give me a fight here that you know X's and O styles wise is one to watch for you. Oh, that's a good question. I will go with there's no um as I mentioned before, Felicia Spencer and Norma Dumont's interesting, but I'm gonna go with Jack Hermanson and Edmund Shabazian. Heck yeah. Both both in terms of like both guys have done well, really well, and then had some pretty noteworthy stumbles. Um, obviously, I thought the Hermanson fight against Vittori was not a bad look for him, but it was one where he was just clearly limited. Shabazian is a very different kind of fighter, and as we saw, maybe we'll have to find out, is he overwhelmed in the grappling department? A guy like Hermanson is going to test us or tell us that. That's a hell of a matchup for either guy and really tough return to action for Shabazian, who... You know, that last fight against against Brunson was was bad. So this is a uh, big test. I mean, look, it's not wrong to say Shabazian imploded against Brunson. Yeah, the, it, it, he fell apart. He fell apart. And when you look at how dominant he had been in his unbeaten run, the head kick knockout of Tavares, which isn't easy to do. Uh, he submitted uh, ja well, who Marshmallow there, Luke? The Marshmallow Man? What? Jack Marshman? Yeah, he submitted him. All right. You're, you would cut out because of Zoom. I think Zoom was trying to censor your speech. Probably, probably. If you can hear me now, Luke, then I'll continue. Yes. But look, the yes, storyline here now, is yes. certainly the mental makeup. Can he bounce back? He's not getting any favors in the matchmaking department. Hermanson's as tough as they come in this division. Are we going to see a lot of a lot of wrestling here, Luke, from from uh, Team Hermanson? Um, I suspect you will. Shabazian can bang on the feet. That's one part that he's been really consistently good at. Obviously, in that first round, he's a nightmare. So, if I was Hermanson, I, I, you know, he's not the kind of guy to back away from a challenge. But if he gets zinged with one of those things, you're, he's going to level change pretty quickly. And, and honestly, like, who could blame him? You have your best chance to win is almost certainly on the floor. So why fuck around too much? Yeah, he submitted Kelvin Gastelum there as his only win in this run of uh, two losses and three fights, but against super elite competition, certainly. I want to see Shabazi and Luke not just come out, you know, confident again and win us over with the flashy strike attempts. I want to see him really tested, and you have to believe Hermanson's going to do that to him, be on his back on the ground, be in gritty situations, and have to come up with plan Bs to counter his way out of there. And Luke, you know, he's a polarizing figure at time. Your Armenian countrymen there. The great, uh, the lead singer of Edmund and the Head Movements, Luke, Coach Tarverdian. Is there part of you like me that just wants to see him succeed coming out of the whole Rousey situation? Like, he's been talking about this guy forever, Edmund, uh, you know, as as sort of his young prodigy. I want to see Shabazian break out for Tarverdian, okay? I'm showing you my cards. Bro, I understand you. Uh, doesn't Who was the boxer that he had? I can't remember if he's got a boxer right now. Who's like oh, really good or couple. really bad? Didn't he do a, a season with uh, what's the guy? The former title, the guy that fought uh, Arislandi Lara. You know who I'm talking about? He's Armenian. Victor Chinian? No, the other, no, the other guy. Uh, I don't, I don't yeah. remember. I'll, I'll get that shortly. My mind only. I, I can't remember because I saw him on Showtime. I think a couple of times, 
And I remember, I remember, I, I can't remember if I was either like, oh my God, this guy's a disaster. Or if he had a guy who I was like, whoa, he's way okay, better. Than he I had a short season with Vanis Martirosian, who's who's was a top amateur and has a had a very up and down pro career. Wasn't that the guy that Triple G just knocked the fuck out of? Yeah, in a late late replacement, moving up in weight situation. But there was a, a run there where Vanis Martirosian was like a a super elite prospect. He fought Lara to a draw. You know, he he's a tricky guy. You couldn't. No, dominate he's got. No, he's got no, no. The, the guy I'm thinking of is not this. The guy I'm thinking of is like a young guy, like fresh into his pro career off the Olympics, some Armenian dude, and I, I think that's what it was. And he was actually very, very, very good. Um, I, how much you can credit Edmund for that? You know, I don't know, but um, we'll see. Yeah, there's plenty of intrigue in this fight, though. This is this is as you know intriguing as any on the card. You talked about Ben Rothwell, Chris Barnett earlier in the week as as moving you. Are you surprised Court McGee still in this conversation, Luke? Bro, record of 19 and 10, quietly on this card. You see Yancey Medeiros quietly on this card as well. There's yeah. a couple of aging guys, and you can see them there. They're facing like I think uh, you've got yeah Demir Hadzovich for Medeiros, and then Claudio Silva. For taking on Court McGee, it's like the guys over the overseas dudes are getting some names to build themselves up off, so folks can take a look at them. It sounds like to me, but I guess we'll see, dude. It's a rough road in the UFC, man. It's a rough road. I, One day well, you're the you know, tough it, winner, the next day you're chopped liver. You know, the life cycle of the food chain, Luke. Okay, you know, you get to the back end, you need that money. You need to be fed to the young lions, you know, and it, it's tough to watch at times, right there. All right, Luke. Also this weekend, of course, tonight. 9 p.m. Eastern only on Showtime in the States. I'm sure you can watch the undercard, what, 6 o'clock on YouTube channel there of Bellator. And what Showtime time are they putting us on CBS Sports HQ, like 520 or 520 something? 5.20 p.m. Eastern today. Luke, you and I did a very detailed and extended uh, CBS Sports HQ preview of Bellator 259. We did the weigh-in coverage with Tommy Tran and Rashad Evans. I believe that video is on the uh, Morning Combat YouTube channel. If you want to hear how does Leslie Smith win, we got about 15 minutes of scenarios here, Luke. I mean, we went deep on this thing here. So shout out to everything going on there. But 259 is back at the Mohegan Sun. This will be the final card, Luke, before the, the breakthrough news we had talked about where Bellator is going to go back to full arenas for the next two. I think they have two cards in June, both at the Mohegan Sun Arena. Uh, we got, you know, Douglas Lima against Yaroslav Amasov there and uh, the interim uh, heavyweight title fight, Tim, Tim Johnson against the other guy there and the other one coming up. But, Luke, we're focused on this one. Chris Cyborg's return, 35 years old, her first, uh, second title defense, no, third. No, second title defense. Boy, I'm well-researched for this shit show on Friday here. Yeah, uh, you're doing against, great. Against 38-year-old Leslie Smith. So the hook is they fought once before, 2016, at the catchway to 140 in Cyborg's hometown of Curitiba, Brazil. Yes, I talked to the great Chris Cyborg this week on YouTube for Morning Combat, so check that out. But, Luke, something we went in depth yesterday uh, Cyborg's a monster favorite, and it's rightfully so. She scored the first-round demolition of Smith, questionable stoppage or not, nah, and I don't believe it was. Uh, here's the deal, though. Smith is known as the peacemaker. Luke, is there any scenario in which she makes war? Or even by fighting negatively and difficultly and defensively, what the heck can she do, should she do, to make this anything but a demolition tonight? We're I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I really don't know. I don't know what. Listen, there is one case I think for Leslie Smith, and it's not. I'm not trying to be flippant about it, but I just think the reality is what it is. Like um, 
since losing to Cyborg when they fought at 140, when Cyborg was like super drained, right? So this fight's at 145. By the way, we don't talk about this. I wanted to bring this up at some point. We need to talk about the fact that five pounds actually can be quite a difference in certain scenarios. Like at 175, I do think you get different athletes than you get at 170. And Cyborg at 145 is going to be even more problematic than she was at 140. Uh, so there's that. And the other part is like the one loss that Leslie Smith has is to Arlene Blenko, who Cyborg, let's just be honest about it, ragdolled. I mean, it was not even a special, it was not close ever. Um, you know, you just don't know what the rational case would be, but there's this kind of reasoning that David Hume sort of talked about. It would go something like this, where if every day I open my door, my front door, let's say, there's nothing on the other end of it but, the, but a newspaper, what guarantee is there in the world that if I open my door, there won't be an alligator on the other side of it, right? Just because the sun has come up every day, and maybe we in think Florida, we know the, maybe in right? Florida, Luke. There's a, maybe in Florida, but here's the point: like I'm making it like it's like every day the sun has come up. Does that necessarily mean that the sun will come up tomorrow? Technically, no, it doesn't mean that. So, the argument I would say is: Is it possible that this is the day that when you open your door, there's an alligator on the other side of it? Maybe that's today, BC, but. That's other than that, I, I just don't know what the argument would be. All right, that's a very fair point. Uh, Cyborg has won titles in four major organizations. Look, she talked about it in my interview. She'd love Kayla Harrison if they can make that work in some kind of cross promotional thing. It seems like Dana White has just in the past 24 hours has sort of seen been a little bit more excited in interviews to maybe bring Kayla into the UFC. So we'll have to watch that situation. But I bring that up to say this if she rolls through Smith. What are we aiming for here? She's a brand. She's a draw. She's still really freaking good at 35. And I think that we have to really look back on the run in Invicta through her first couple UFC fights where Cyborg, to her credit, really, you know, uh, siphoned down the warrior in her and became more efficient and set up her punches better and just, you know, got even better than she was as just a hulking force earlier in her career. But is there going to be a fight? Well, we're going to have things to break down is for, you know, are we, gonna, are we waiting for her to slip or is there somebody on the Bellator roster or anybody that can challenge her until she shows up old? No. Again, we'll see what happens with Smith. I don't want to completely suggest that there's no way that dude here. I mean, here's one of the amazing things about watching MMA, right? And, and you know, this too, I've been watching MMA for a long time, long time, better part of my life, really. And even up to last weekend, you see something like the Shane Burgos knockout or Michael Chandler beating the brakes off of Charles Oliveira only to lose, you know, first big punch that lands into the second. Like, it never ceases to surprise and amaze and shock and just do crazy things. In that tradition, something is always possible. But, dude, until Cyborg, the only pure person, it looks to me, who's going to kick Cyborg's ass at ever is going to be father time and that's a weird way to describe it and i i, I probably wouldn't do that again because because of the the genderization of of time but you know my point bc i did say like, mother time on hq to try not to offend and then i don't know if i offended by saying mother time luke yeah it's know. a weird way to describe it but you know the point dude until she until she gets old man i th there ain't no one who's gonna fuck with her yeah uh, and she's great look do we i don't know it's weird it's hard with cyborg because when she fought the other goat 
who you know I think she handed the goat title to, although you can certainly debate that. Uh, Amanda, it was I mean it was a great fight. It was it was a first round war. It was amazing. And she so she lost that fight. She didn't get the rematch because of how all that her political ending in UFC played out and all that. Do we not give her enough like? credit for for the consistency and being yes. the legend that she is like i know she did have yes. a let's not forget that she she had a ped hiccup earlier in her career and the you know but like has there been consistent elite competition for her at every stop do we hold the fact that she's a pioneer against her like sometimes we do rousey because she beat up on you know opponents who weren't well-rounded and ready uh, how do we look at right now at 35 how we value cyborgs you know impact on the sport such a great question i have thought a lot about this you know when you're on someone else's resume not merely as you're the loser but you lost quickly and you got viciously stopped it's and, and then plus amanda's done everything else that she's done it's hard to not call her her resume the most accomplished but no matter what amanda does unless she hangs around for a lot longer in many ways, she won't have certain elements of greatness that Cyborg does. Dude, Cyborg has, I mean, two things you gotta think about here. Cyborg has been arguably either the top woman's fighter or right at it since what, 2009? I mean, that even is- Even before that, even seriously, even sure. before that. Sure, even before that. So what do you wanna say, eight or seven maybe? I mean, an ins I mean, she's been on top of the game at a consistently high level in ways that her male contemporaries mostly can't really even claim. Like, is John, I mean, granted, John Jones is fighting a very different kind of division than women's featherweight. Okay, fine, fine. I'm just saying the level of consistency is extraordinary. And the reason why it's important is not just because of the amount of time, but in that amount of time, MMA has gone through technical innovation and growth in extraordinary ways. And she's still at the bleeding edge of that that is just you're, you're one of the most impossibly difficult things to do most of the time what you see in the men's game is what we talked about previously someone has a huge lead on their contemporaries and then slowly the game kind of catches up as they age people figure them out you know injuries pile up whatever dude they i mean with the exception of amanda nunez they can't find anyone who could even fucking get close with that it's it's she is a a true true wonder for all of MMA. That's why when you're trying to build a case for Leslie Smith, it's like we don't have footage of Cyborg struggling outside of like the Nunes fight. You know, she lost her pro debut in 2005. I'm not even sure there's a Betamax version of that around, or maybe it's on YouTube and I haven't seen it, Luke. Uh, you know, it, would you say her biggest win is going five rounds with Holly Holm and, and out techniquing her? Is that is that her best win? That's a good one. Yeah. Um, the Carano win was big at the time Certainly. because of just what a beating it was. Um, but obviously that wasn't the same kind of decorated opponent in that way. Uh, I'd have to go look at her resume to really sort of you know pinpoint the one where I think she peaked. But she's fought a lot of the best they could find to stand in front of her. And they can't do shit to yeah. her with, you know, with the exception of one glaring real exception. I mean, the fact that it took her a while to get into the UFC with, with the relationship and the creating of the division, I mean, we, we never really got to see a consistent stretch against the very elite available. There's also not a ton of very elite available at 145, something that we've talked about well in the past. I always do want to give Cyborg the credit, though, uh, for all, like, she's like the, she is the biggest professional, Luke. You know what I'm saying? Like, gracious, polite always in shape, always prepared. Like uh, the way that she handled the loss to Nunes 
in the press conference afterwards, I'll never forget being there at the uh, at the forum in, in Inglewood and just seeing like, wow, like she's the real deal as a person. So I do want to give her that respect always. We'll see if she can roll through. Luke, in terms of uh, X's and O's again and being in, in a fight that, that I expect to be competitive, this Bantamweight co-main event, very good here. Darian Caldwell, the former Bantamweight champion at 33, is coming off that move up to featherweight. He entered the Grand Prix. He had two very impressive wins, including the stoppage of uh, Adam Boric there before getting submitted in quick fashion in the semifinals against A.J. McKee. Now he's fighting a guy in Leandro Higo who he's already defeated early in the first round back when he was champion. But, Luke, you know, in between that, we also saw Caldwell Caldwell lose the two fights to uh, Horiguchi. So there's been a little bit of up and down for him. Higo seems to be rising, coming off of two straight wins. Uh, How competitive do you see this one? And, and, And if it is, do you agree with me that that action is coming our way? Yeah, 100%. I mean, Caldwell has been really um, kind of baffling because he's such a phenomenal athlete and he's got great wrestling. Um, you know, he's just an absolute dynamic force in that way. But even then, you know, he got submitted by Joe Timon Glow, you know, and that was a weird fight. I watched that one live at the time. I was like, you got to be kidding me. And so and then you get he gets hit with the one percenter or the McKeotine by uh, AJ McKee. And so he has these weird blunders even there, too, although largely dominant but that's not even really the issue that can sometimes get him the bigger issue for me is I kind of thought this whole time he was using wrestling as like this bridge to get to the second or third stage of his career where he could then become something of a striker and he just doesn't seem interested in doing that or I don't know what the plan is because he's still just trying to wrestle everyone and again he is a dominant force but as we've seen he's not dominant enough to be untouchable in that way he's certainly no Habib in that space as di- look at me look, look at these suplexes i mean he is tremendous don't misunderstand me but the well the lack of well-roundedness there bc i it's caught him and the ace in the hole while it's good enough to beat a lot of good fighters it's not really good enough to get him where he wants to go although i like to see him back at 135 versus 145 yeah he's he's wanting and hoping to make a run at the title uh business is is booming at, at Bantamweight uh, for, for Bellator when you consider Sergio Pettis just beat Archuleta to win the title. Magomed Magomedov is a, a rising stud. Certainly yeah. they've got some good names there. Luke, uh, it's minus 375 from William Hill has Caldwell as the favorite, uh, plus two-something for Higo. Now, mm-hmm. he goes one-two in a row. Like I mentioned, Luke, he's aggressive. He We saw him at the weigh-in yesterday. Got, he had the weird mask on that Eric Albronacin gave him, and he got up in the grill of Caldwell. We wonder if there's an opening here. If he's going to come out badass, guns blazing, can he catch Caldwell? Can he lure him into a brawl? Can he do anything but be on his back looking up? I certainly think he's got a puncher's chance here, but talking to Al Burasin, he seemed to think that, you know, he's obviously he's big on his own guy, but he seems to think that this guy is reborn, Luke. Have you seen enough in his uh, recent sort of uh, rebuilding to agree with those comments? Not against someone the caliber of Darian Caldwell. I, I- he clearly is always working. Um, he clearly is always getting better. But what that amounts to, like, does it really amount to a shift in the power balance where this guy basically ran over him the first time? I think it will be much more competitive the second time, no matter what. But do I see a total reformation project reaching its conclusion? This fight is going to tell us a lot more about how true that statement really is. So, not saying it's right, not saying it's wrong, but or it's right. The question is, is it right enough to matter at a different level? We're going to see. 
Uh, very key middleweight bout in the Bellator title picture here is unbeaten Austin Vanderford. Yes, Mr. PVZ taking on Fabian Edwards, as you noted, the brother of uh, Leon Edwards. That, that's a true fact, right, Luke? That is a true fact. All right. Well, the story here is Vanderford and whether, you know, a win could actually get him the title shot or does he need an exceptional win? Luke, he's a, 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 a small but solid favorite betting favorite here, Vanderford. We know he can wrestle. He leans on it. He he falls right into it. He'll grind. He'll he'll ragdoll matter in a movie for three rounds. Luke can just dominate and control in that. But is he gonna have to dominate on the feet to like do that thing where Scott Coker is done watching that fight and going, yeah, he's ready. Let's put him in the title shot now. I think he's close. I think he's close. I the the thing is in one of his fights recently he was dominant, but he took his time. I think he needs to go out there and. Whether he wins to me is not, I'm not going to say it's a foregone conclusion, but I don't expect him to lose. But the question is, can he go out there and really shine? Can he go out there and be like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm carving my own path independent of everyone else. To me, I think he has shined a lot, but maybe in a way where you were looking for him to cross a certain threshold and ability. I would like to see that this one. It's a great opponent. It's a great opportunity. It's a good weight class. Well, I, th I think it'll be a good weight class for him. Um, it's just he needs that magic moment, BC, that spark. Everything he showed has been great. Let's see something memorable. I think yeah, that's you're like, the whatever difference. magic you showed in getting PVZ on your team for life, uh, show that in the cage, please, sir. Luke, his confidence is certainly uh, maybe tragic, his intuition magic, but the shape of that tattoo, unusual. Is that the boldest tattoo in the history of this sport, which is really littered with bold and absurd tattoos. I mean, that neck, tat, eyeball, which we chatted with him about at length when he visited us on set for the uh, Bellator Showtime announcement a couple months back. Seriously, put your cards on the table. That's the most all-in, I will be known by my tattoo for the rest of my life type moment since maybe Tyson's eye or Mike Perry's eye or, I mean, is there anything bolder that you've ever seen than that statement right there with the, there was the one the guy U off a season of the ultimate fighter out of the UK. So I don't know what season it was. He had tattoos the entirety of his back. And I think even over his shoulder of like a, a skeleton grabbing him. Did you, and he had, he had uh, like the, the mouthpiece he had, had like jagged teeth in it. Like he was some kind of orc. Or something. He he. I think he fought like two times and lost both of them and then got cut. I forget his name. Uh, I'm probably being unfairly disparaging, but he had like yeah, all in. They weren't as visible as this neck piece. Cody Garbrandt's got a neck piece, by the way. In the and 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 so does Darian Caldwell. He's got his neck blown out too. Uh, but the pink sort of like lavender against the white eye. That is. That's gonna, you know, you have to have a tall British tailored collar to cover that one up on wedding day. Yeah, you know? yeah. I, I haven't seen that fight you're talking about. I am waiting, Luke, for the first like full. I'm okay. Kevin Lee also, by the way, has a pretty aggressive tattoo on the back of his skull. I'm waiting yeah. for that first fighter who comes in. Just, I mean, full, full body, shaved head, giant gauges, just the full what you could expect in the that extreme direction. And he calls himself not even by his first or last name, just something like, you know, really demeaning and like monstrous and like, uh, like, you know, like, uh, what do you got? You got a name for him? Lex the Impaler. Yeah, yeah. Something like that. I, I'm waiting for that guy to come. But it's hard, Luke, to be elite 
as a fighter and also carry on that that gimmick right there. Uh, Rat Garbage is the name that our producer Manich is offering. Wow, that's aggressive there. Rat Garbage is that guy, Manuel Neto, whatever his name is. Yeah, 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 whatever his name is there, Luke. All right, uh, Luke, they, they, they moved, a, they, they lost a fight here. I believe it was the Christian Edwards one, right? And, uh, and your girl, Valerie Lareda, has been bumped up to the main card when she takes yep. on Hannah Guy. Uh, yep. We talked about that. You chatted with her this week on Morning Combat. Definitely a you know, introspective look into Valerie Lareda, who, look, she, she didn't waste any time putting up some aggressive pictures yesterday, but that's how she markets herself, and it's working. Uh, we talk about her growth. I've really liked in the cage, you know, the the things I've seen, her explosion, her striking ability. Uh, where's her ground game at this early in your eyes? I haven't seen a whole lot of it, and what I've seen has been about what you would expect considering the circumstances. But, like, there was one thing she said, which is pretty true, which is, you know, it seems to me Strike Force is going to try and do her favors while giving her enough tests to get as good as she can be. Uh, Hannah Guy, also rep by First Round Management, she did an interview. I saw it. She was like, you know, I'm going to focus on my strengths, which are X, Y, and Z, which were wrestling, sort of Thai boxing. And Loretta has said, it doesn't matter who I fight. They're all going to try and take me down at some point. It's her biggest area of growth and biggest area of need. So there's no real mystery about like what each camp kind of has to be about and what she should do. How good at that she's gotten remains very much to be seen. But I do think Hannah Guy is probably not going to stand too much with her. She's probably going to press her against the cage. So I think in this fight, we're going to get a chance to see what does her against the cage uh, and perhaps other circumstances, what does her takedown defense or grappling or scrambling ability look like in those contexts? You know, three fights into your career. I mean, I know a lot of folks are used to like these really high achievers who are very, very good in their fourth fight. You know, John Jones was very, very good in his fourth fight most fighters are not that way and as the game develops you're going to see fewer and fewer of them so i'm not telling you loretta's got championship future i have no idea brian campbell what her future looks like but to be three and zero and still be in a place where you're trying to put the pieces of your game together it should not should not be scandalous i mean she's committed though you know she's training with the right people i see the pictures all the time luke of the super elites that she's getting time with She's in, you know, she's committed physically in great shape. I mean, she seems dude, really that she wants to be great. So, dude, she's uh, 22 years old. She trains at ATT, so a great facility, great coaches, great training partners. There's other women she gets to train with. She has a martial arts background. She has enough money to do nothing else. All she has to do is focus on training. Um, you know, and Strike Force is giving her, I think, just the right kind. Scott Coker's actually this is where he excels. It's taking someone people are interested in and slowly bringing them along. If she can't get good under these circumstances, she can't get good. That's fair. That's fair. I like her pace. I like her striking. Let's see if she can well-round the game. I talked about somebody committing to the gimmick full-on and getting the full body tat. If she committed to the gimmick full-on and, and changed her nickname to Thirst Trap, would that be a plus <laughs> or minus in her marketing potential? Luke? Bro, you trying, trying to get us canceled, bro. No, she's got a strong internet game. She's she's on top of marketing and branding. Hey, so, that's uh, for her, you know? Indeed. Uh, Sada Wad back on this card again. Nate, Nate Andrews, always a fun fighter. Aviv Gozali, the submission king, is back, Luke. He gets a spectacular one, so he'll be taking on Sean Felton. So there's Bellator 259. Tonight, only on Showtime, I believe 9 p.m. Eastern, is that main card start. So get yourself some of that. Uh, Luke, some quick hitters in the news cycle of MMA and boxing here. One that's not on here, but I, I think it's important. I want to get your take. Dana White's been doing uh, interviews in the past 24 hours. I forgot the source they talked to, but this quick hitter, 
He says UFC is moving forward completely from the John Jones situation. And, he, you know, he went the full-on Dana and was like, you know, if he doesn't want to fight again, that's on him. I'm promoting fights every weekend. And he talked about moving forward to Derek Lewis and moving on and on. Luke, if you are Team John Jones in the – they've made the negotiation very public at multiple times, you know, going back to even in last year. What, what's your next power move here? Listen. I don't have necessarily all the nicest things to say about all of the managers and whatnot and agents and all the hanger-oners in MMA, but I saw first-round management getting raked over the coals for how they were allegedly handling the John Jones situation. Well, now they, and they have been, uh, as I understand it, we talked about in this show, separated for quite some time. Does it look like things improved? <laughs> Doesn't look like that to me at all. If anything... They have stayed the same, maybe gotten even a little bit worse. Like, dude, listen, it is not – I, I don't know how many different ways we can say this, BC, because I think you're largely in agreement with me, which is it's not about a question of like this, you know, do we want John to have more money? Of course we do. Um, when John makes points about what he sacrificed, is he right? You know, a lot of times, yeah, he is. Or, or anything you can think of that's sympathetic to the way in which John Jones views the world or what we believe he is financially entitled to. But dude, these guys don't have leverage, not not much anyway, when the UFC can ha boast that, okay, we can't make John Jones fights that John wants to be paid in, but look at all these other fights in all these other weight classes across two genders that we can make. We can just move on. Like you're when they say he's not that important, dude, they're not they're not really bluffing. This is not they're not really doing a show. This is how they do their business uh, in this way. And so um, I don't know what he's supposed to do other than fight or not. I, I, start an association, take him to court. I, I don't know. But just getting mad on Twitter, even with your own righteous indignation, as much as I think it's factually correct, in the world we live in, BC, it's immaterial. Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, I mean it's a power move do. by Dana. It's the, it's the right move business-wise. It's also a power move in sort of if we were looking at this from a social justice Wednesday point of view. Like, that's a power move from Dana to be like, okay, we don't need you, bro. Yeah. Go ahead. We do think you're the the GOAT, though, by on the way out. I'll say that out loud. But, I know. Uh, it, dude, it's so – it's so I got to say credit to Dana. It's expertly passive-aggressive. It's like, dude, he's one of the great it's, – it's great to go out on top. It'd be a great thing if he doesn't want to come back. You know, like, look at what his legacy is. Damn near perfect. But uh, we're moving on. Like, dude, you can either get on the train. You ever like? You ever made the mistake of being like, "Is there any way they can hold the plane?" And then the people look back at you and they say, <laughs> "Sir, we don't hold planes for peasants." You ever had that experience at the airline? I've had that a yeah. couple of times. Yeah, I, I've gotten into loud arguments over stupid yeah, things. Yeah, you've with those. never felt smaller when they're like, "We can't hold the plane thirty seconds for your peasant ass." That's what it feels like with John and UFC negotiating. By the way, last weekend, Luke, I had one of those things where I, like, purposely delayed uh, myself <laughs> getting to the airport and going through security. And then, you know, I'm gets cutting his clothes. So I'm like, no, nah, I got this. I got this. And then had a full, full sprint, Luke. Full sprint in which my shoelaces got caught in the escalator. <laughs> and I kind of, like, got dragged a bit. And then you know how awkward publicly that is to go down and then pick your shoelace out of the bottom of the escalator because it's tied in. And I mean, and I put that back on and I and I look, I made it as they were closing that damn door and I'm dripping sweat as I get into my chair. I mean, it was just a stupid my 
I brought it upon myself. But yeah, that's that's the worst right there, indeed. Don't you get to the airport early enough to avoid this bullshit? Yeah, most of the time I do. Sometimes, though, I stop to eat or I just take my time or whatever. So uh, screw that, Luke. Uh, so I don't know what Jones, I, you know, Jones can't be like, well, screw it. I'm going to box Jake Paul. You know, we can't really, you know, Dana just shut the door on GSP. So we're not going in that direction. I don't know what John's move is besides just saying, OK, I'll fight who you want to fight next. But then you got to pay me the fight after. Who knows if that even works, Luke? What does he have to win the title first to kind of hold it up? But, you know, I mean... That's what they want him to. They want him to go all the way to winning the title before he makes the big money, right? I I don't know what they I, dude. I'm not even sure if they care. On it, dude. Uh, yeah. Understand, Michael Chandler. We should talk about this for just a second. Michael Chandler allegedly from John Oran's report, which I'm not saying I don't. I'm not saying I think is false, but like the fact that no one else has the numbers is a little bit. I would like to see some other information to corroborate it. But he has historically been a very very reliable reporter. He was saying that it was 300k buys domestically. For UFC 262, like, dude, I feel like five or six years ago, that would have done, like, 150. Um, Three is not an enormous amount, but given what the main event was and there was no other supporting cast, that is huge. Dude, like, if they can pull 300K with no middleman, they don't have to pay DirecTV anymore, they don't have to pay Comcast anymore for any of that stuff, and they get to do that, dude, they don't... I, I hate to say it this way because I don't want John's career to go in a direction where what I'm saying, you know, puts it into existence by, by virtue of articulating it out loud. But, like, they don't need him. They don't. I hate to say it. I really do. It does, I don't derive any joy from saying this. They don't need him. And they know it. I don't know if John knows then, that yet. Well, then then is John's best move to then just sit out for until they need him again. They don't need him right now because Ngannou looks to be the next giant-ass big thing, and he's got some fun guys that, you know, if he can that he can fight that we care about that matchup, and if he wins, he just keeps exploding. But what if Ngannou loses to Derek Lewis, and then it comes back to a little bit level of parity? Then does John's value go up increasingly, and he sits back and he waits for Dana to call him? Maybe that's the move right now, Luke. No. No, none, none, none of that ch- materially changes anything. The only thing that would change it is... Imagine on the sidelines somehow, somehow there was this budding, you know, bubbling rivalry with Brock Lesnar. Somebody who you knew if the two of them got together, John is, John is, uh, you know, again, he can reliably draw. Folks misunderstand things. They think if you, if you can draw, it automatically means you draw a million. And if you don't draw a million, then that's somehow like bad. You have to understand something. Here's the pack, right? Here's the pack of just about every UFC fighter, including headliners. In terms of where they can draw, John is like here. There's a big gap between John and other headliners. But then there's space over here, whether you're like your Conor McGregor's and and whatnot, your Jorge Masvidal, something like that. So John is somewhere firmly in the middle. He's not quite that that sort of million-plus reliable guy, but he's definitely outpacing the pack by a pretty considerable margin. That's the best way to understand this. The magic of John Jones is that if you get the right dance partner, now you think, uh, BC, as I understand it, that, that Ngannou is that guy. But what I mean is someone who draws passions and gets the fans invested where there is no other dance partner, like Cormier. Like had Cormier won that third fight with Stipe and decided to hang on or whatever, and they've still got that beef and, what, and, 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 and there's this possibility there. I think you could get UFC would look at that and be like, dude, that could get a million. That that he could oh, yeah. John can fire up the situation and be in a relationship where it lifts everything. And so 
I, I think if there was someone out there like that, that would move the needle. But Francis, as much as I want to see that fight, and as much as I might agree, I think it would commercially do very, very well, he's not that particular kind of guy. And so until there's some kind of reason to get John... They calling you. They call. Yeah, they calling me. They always calling me, bro. I don't know why. They think you're Big Meat, Larry Hoover. Big Meech. All right. You know, okay. It's a, it's a, it's a anyway, I've said what I had to say about that, but there you go. Borderline. Look, if it's your doctor, you can take it right now, Luke. You can mute your mute your Hello? line. And... <laughs> yes. Yeah. Th this is this is Luke from Showtime. What? <laughs> I've been fired. Okay. I guess I have the day off. Thank you. Uh, all right, Luke, we got, we got to keep rolling here, but, uh, interesting, interesting points. I still, by the way, I said it in 2012, I still say it again, Lesnar Jones, it's going to be Jones's heavyweight debut. I just feel it. And I don't know why I'm the only American who still wants DC and Jones to fight a third time at heavyweight title or not. I don't get why nobody else is on board with that, but me, but, uh, Luke, we mentioned it earlier, but TJ Dillashaw and Cody Sanhagen, Corey Sanhagen. Corey Sanhagen, he's called by these days. Uh, they're rescheduled for July 24th. Not a ton we can say besides the fact that we love the shit out of that fight and it really matters, Luke, okay? Great to see it back. Yes. All right. right. Uh, bigger news when MMA Fighting reported that Diego Sanchez has ended his professional relationship with trainer, mentor, shaman. I don't know how deep down the line of, of, of titles I can give him, Luke. It's up to your discretion. Joshua Fabia of the uh, school of... Uh, self-preservation and enlightenment luke um not a shocker by any means but there was some like weird details in there how fabia had uh what do you have uh power of attorney power of attorney over is that normal in a like manager coach fighter situation no that... no, no that's, that's next level abnormal. weird yeah, yeah that's there's there's a lot so do you think and that we feel like from the outside looking in and all the bizarrity, if that's a word, that this is a great move for Diego. All of his ex-teammates and people that care about him was saying that. Was that was that what happened? Did the pressure of that, Luke, get to him just being like, what the hell am I doing right now? I, I, see, here's the thing about this. Like, I'm not calling it anything other than good news, but I'm not like, oh, okay, problem solved. I mean, understand something. Like the fact that you, the fact that Diego lost all of his money once, and then later in his career fell into the arms of Joshua Fabio, like this might be a pattern we see over the course of his life. Not with Joshua per se, but with consistent dead end problems that financially and spiritually bankrupt him. He's, it's happened to him like twice before he even hit forty. You know that's that's a problem. Okay, number one. Number two, the guy who the, the extricated him from the situation, it appears. At least is, is 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 at least very much part of the story, and we can say that I think comfortably is this new attorney. Now, that all sounds pretty good, BC. Again, I think getting and separating from Joshua Fabia is probably only a good thing for Diego. Still, I don't know who this attorney is, and I don't know what Diego's plan is. I still have no desire to see him fight because he's looked quite awful. Maybe another situation can show us that there actually is something of a more mineable last chapter it's like am i happy that diego is away from joshua 100 percent. but there's like this mountain of unanswered questions and other problems yeah. that simply removing yourself like people are blaming every problem in diego's life on fabia you know what fabia was a big problem he ain't the only problem that he has yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that completely. And if you ask me what's next for Diego, then I hope no fighting. I hope a happy retirement. I hope some transition, Lord, 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 
Lord uh, humongous Luke Thomas to uh, <laughs> to like a life of where you can give back to the sport, be a you know, be a trainer, be a ambassador, something. I mean, I want to see a happy uh, you know post fight life. We don't see a lot of those, unfortunately, in this. And sport. also, Jose, uh, don't you feel it happened fast, dude? Diego was DMing me. What was it last week? Talking or about all this it? shit about Cerrone and all this stuff like that. I'm like, or was what the it fuck Diego? Happened? Yo, it could have been Fabio. We don't know. He had power of everything over the man. Oh, okay. fuck. I still hope that. That's uh, a good point. I hadn't thought about that. I still hope some. I mean, look, Josh Fabio would make an insanely great WWE heel manager. Would make a poor anything else, it seems, in MMA. But, I mean, what if Mike Perry was like, F it. I'm, I'm going to the school of Fabio. I mean, that's just brilliant TV, Luke. I don't know how much longer uh, Ocean's daddy has in the UFC, but I'm, I'm still here for it. All right, Luke, let's keep it going. Uh, Jacare Souza, fresh off the uh, submission loss and broken arm there against, uh, was it Andre Muniz at UFC 262 over the weekend? Yeah. No mm-hmm. longer on the UFC roster. He has not officially been cut, but it, it, it feel, what is this then? The the waiting room, the holding room before Hades? Uh, it, what a tough way to go out for a great veteran, 41. He's lost six of eight. Uh, you know, we agree that he probably should be cut, but to be, get cut after getting your arm broken is, uh, that's a tough, that's a rough ending, Luke. That's a rough ending, but it is what it is, okay? Bro, yeah, I mean, that's why I'm telling you, man, like, if you don't walk out of the octagon metaphorically on your own power, they're going to stretcher you out, and then yeah, you'll get right. cut. Like, yeah. you got you you are responsible for your own exit. You know? Some have uh, more power or money or control, like a GSP, to do it their own way. GSP's kind of done this artistically, Luke, you know? But very few, very few get that kind of ending in this game. So, uh, final bit of news, Luke. Uh, look, some outlets jumped on this last night again as if it was concrete breaking news. Even though we just spent the last six to nine months lamenting that Fury and Joshua could not become a complete deal, yet every day it feels like we got closer. The news, though, in the last 24 hours is this. It looks like Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder 3 is basically done. The targeted date here is July 24th. Both sides have come to a verbal agreement, but I, again, with the recent you know, uh, events, I'm not holding that as concrete. Uh, Bob Arum, the co-promoter of Tyson Fury, said yesterday that July 24th is the date they want, either at T-Mobile Arena or Allegiant Stadium, home of the Raiders. And the backup date, it looks, Luke, would be August 14th, possibly in play. Uh, Verbal agreements are what they are, but this is the direction we're going after that arbitration ruling, which means we can't do AJ Joshua right now until Wilder gets his contractually obligated, uh, you know, third fight here. Uh, Luke, I've been positive and optimistic, you know, with you in the last uh, couple days since this, you know, huge news broke. Did you see the video of Deontay Wilder training? And he's got this long ass beam, and he's just—I mean, he's ripped and ready to 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 upset the apple cart. Will you be excited and as happy and optimistic as I am if this goes on July 24th and uh, as a booby prize, Luke, as a build to the future type of uh, hey, at least we have this. Listen. If they so Mike Coppinger reported that what happened was that when they had the arbitration lawsuit go forward or the arbitration case, whatever, whatever you want to describe it, there were already plans in place that in the event that the arbitrator ruled in favor of Wilder, they already knew kind of what direction they wanted to go. Dates, venues, blah, 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 blah. Nothing was set in stone, but there was at least a roadmap ahead of all the venues and possibilities and, and whatnot. So the fact that they were able to pivot to that, given the arbitration ruling relatively quickly, is uh, is good. I'm glad that they had this backup plan in place in that way. Again, dude, do I want to see this fight right now? I think it's a giant mistake 
for Wilder, but I'll take it. I will take it. I will take it. It's like it's like it's like June seventh or June sixth, BC. You know, is it for me? No. I I have uh, a mammalian brain, but but <laughs> I will take it because it's Miami. It's a nice day. I will go enjoy myself and just let it be what it's going to be. But in all seriousness, um, I I don't really believe that Wilder has that much of a chance against Tyson Fury, but he's a historic puncher, and I'd rather, dude. It, just get in the fucking ring. One of you's. Somebody's. Dude, could, dude I'm, I, I, I'm, you know, I don't feel like I'm trying to talk anybody into this. If, if, if you're telling me Wilder might come in so angry that he's going to go guns blazing for three rounds against Fury, I mean, that's the best possible yeah. TV we could have because no, there's no one else who can win more with less. And I don't necessarily mean that as an insult, but you get what I'm saying. Wilder is flawed in very large ways in certain categories, but has the the secret weapon to get himself out of trouble. Uh, nobody else has it on that level with that disparity between what they you know, can actually do it. But again, has Wilder used this time to improve in those areas? We won't know until they get in the ring. Uh, Luke, the odds are, are a couple books putting out early. Fury minus 360, Wilder plus 250. Do you think that's hmm. about right, given that we cannot overlook Wilder's punching power? It's a little kind to Wilder, if you ask me, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't argue too much with it. It, look, bet, betting odds seem to always, you know, give big punchers their very large punchers chance. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if they're going to do it in the full stadium, but that'd be a nice sort of reintroduction to this type of super fight feel. I'd be into that. We'll see yeah. what happens. Uh, I'm glad it's stateside. These fucking fights in Saudi Arabia, I get it because of the finances, but like it blows, you know, ha have one in a bit or, 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 you know, if they put it in London, I've been happy with that too. Just some place that is a fight town, big fight feel. We got it's it, like all these things are like oh we're having fans in attendance again even like the big ones it's like just in fucking Jacksonville like bro Jacksonville blows sorry everyone in Jacksonville watches like oh wow. fuck you Luke yeah fuck wow. me it blows sorry I've been that, there oh look you've been to fucking Jacksonville I've been to Jacksonville blows it's not you that just great, shut on okay? Tim Tebow and the Khan family yeah right it's, listen okay. the water's nice it's not that great of a place okay sorry Tony but, Khan. It, but either even that. if it was even if it was heaven on earth it's not a fight town. You know, if we're going to do fights again and we're going to have fans back there, there's something different about getting it to the beat of a place that is just full of rock rib fight fans, even if they have to fly into Las Vegas. Uh, Mike Coppinger was also, I think, reporting some of the stuff he talked to uh, Eddie Hearn about that Joshua could be facing Alexander Usyk as early as late August, Luke. So, again, this is this is fun. This is fun theater. It, it, it beats getting nothing in return for losing that super fight. Uh, Luke, this, you know, you, you could argue this could have led the show, although would we have lost <laughs> viewers in the process? Well, hey, viewers, get ready, okay? There's a new season uh, in our future and maybe yours too there on Showtime. <laughs> Luke, at the very least, this was shocking news. Nobody told this yeah. us about this in advance no or even whispered shit. it. Right. But here's what we know. Uh, Jake Paul, and Showtime has confirmed this, has signed a deal with Showtime, not oh. Triller Fight Club, where he had put on big pay-per-view numbers in his last two fights. Uh, Luke, I have talked to Showtime. They're, they're not ready to fully announce this. There is, uh, you know, they're still negotiating the first fight, the first opponent, uh, you know, the length of the deal, right? We don't know if it's more than one fight officially, but it's a large statement at the very least. In some way, Luke, we should have saw it coming a million miles ago. Jake Paul did the gotcha hat for his brother's fight against Floyd, which will air on Showtime. Uh, it, it just sort of should have made a ton of sense there. But uh, I was still very shocked. But, Luke, I think even more, let's give our fans what they actually want, the ones that want it, even more caring than our reaction from a business or fight sense what, what this means. 
People are pretty interested to see what your reaction is, Luke, yeah. based on your given stances in the past. Uh, well, <laughs> would you would you frame this? Because I look at it as, all right, it is what it is, dude. Sometimes I do eat out of the gas station. And if you're telling me my employer is now sponsoring their own, you know, grilling machine with the with the rolling hot dogs and the little sausage sticks. All right, I'm going to eat it, bro. I'm going to cash these yeah. checks. Uh, you had a harsher stance, though. Was this a gut punch, Luke? No, I mean, people act like this is something I'm going to lose sleep over. Like, it's, I mean, here's the reality, BC. The higher-ups at Showtime who watch the show and, you know, listen for our takes, they heard my my loud and passionate arguments for months about how this was a thing that was dumb that no one should pay attention to. And they said, Luke, you have the worst ideas we've ever heard. <laughs> Yeah. We're going to go in the utterly opposite direction of basically everything you have said up to this point. So, BC, this is a real moment of time to reflect on the thought leadership that I have over the suits at Showtime. But in reality, I would actually have two responses. One, um, listen, they're just not going to leave money on the table. You I know mean, what look, I mean? Look, like, Stay in that for one second. Let me just say this. Like, there's money to be made. Dana said it. Triller was thought ton. they were in the yeah. Jake Paul. I mean, there are, for as long as this bubble lasts before it bursts, I mean, there is freaking money to be made. So I, mean, uh, I don't hate uh, that, uh, Luke, okay? Uh, understand Understand something about Showtime, too, like in, in the history of boxing and MMA. Two things about Showtime you got to remember. And by the way, a lot of the same leadership is still in place. Where did Kimbo have his first big MMA fight? You could, you could count the Ray Mercer CCF, CFFC thing, but I would actually say like the Tank Abbott fight, stuff like that. Dude, these, were, these took place on Showtime, number one. Number two, who was in charge of the pay-per-view, basically, for Mayweather and McGregor? And because it was, they were in the Mayweather business, it was Showtime. Like, Showtime does this stuff. This is the part that I mentioned, BC. Showtime announced their calendar in boxing for what? Almost, not the entire year, but pretty close to it. Like Through a big September, chunk of it. I believe, yeah. Yeah. So this is the point. Like, this doesn't in any way change their core business. This is just a nice add-on because Floyd's involved and there's a fuck ton of money to be made. But in the tradition of Kimbo Slice, which I keep bringing up, people hate the comparisons, but they're way more relevant than you want them to be. These guys who have unorthodox entries into the fight game, and again, I, I, you know, he needs a real opponent before we can say he's there. We'll see what happens. But these guys who make these unorthodox entries, where you have, you know, YouTube sensation Kimbo Slice, who then became, you know, uh, the CFFC thing, where he was kind of coming through the ranks, having these third-party validators, and then he ends up on fucking Showtime, and it worked, dude. He drew monster fucking ratings. For them, dude, Jake's probably gonna do the same exact thing. I guess they'll, they'll do pay per view, not so much, um, not so much, uh, probably uh, live TV. But so, like, between these factors, where Showtime has a core business that this doesn't disturb, they're probably almost certainly not going to do it the Triller way anyway. By the way, kind of funny that Top Rank letting Triller overpay for Teofimo, uh, Showtime picking up some of the good work that Triller did and making Jake Paul sort of bigger than he already is. They're feasting off of them. That's kind of interesting to watch these institutional players. So, like, what's my reaction? Dude, none of my opinions change about this stuff. But on some level, I'm totally overruled. I have a job to do. I'm not going to pretend that I think it's some exalted activity. But they're flying me to Miami in June to hang out with UBC. We're going to cry stuff. about my life. I'm not.
yeah, no, spoiler alert, I've talked to some of the plans that we have. We got big stuff planned, so it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be great coverage of all that. But uh, a couple of things. We'll get into the trailer impact quickly in a second, but uh, I'm obviously much more, uh, it seems, uh, uh, obliged to, to love this type of stuff, you know, to a certain degree. Uh, I'm a pro wrestling guy. I'm a gas station food guy. You know all that. But I, I wonder, it's, it's apropos that Floyd's pictures. Up. I wonder if this has more to do with Floyd than Jake. I mean, it could be more about Jake long-term if he stays with Showtime and keeps finding creative matchups. But the fact that this is where Floyd Mayweather is in his great career right now, Luke, which uh, in the fact that Showtime has long been, at least since 2013, in the Sh Floyd Mayweather business, then that's really the larger story because Floyd's going to fight Logan Paul on June 6th. However that goes down, Luke, we, we have to believe with the gotcha hat thing, that you're building toward a long-term Floyd Jake Paul fight in some form or terms. So from that regard, it just makes sense business-wise. It's the lane Floyd's in. Floyd's not coming back, it seems, to fight Manny again or Errol Spence again or for the first time. So, like, this is the lane Floyd is in. He did the kickboxing boxing match in Japan, right? He did the McGregor fight. This is where he is, and, you know, Luke, uh, you know, a lot of fighters over history of boxing post-career have done pro wrestling or whatever they can do to keep themselves, uh, you know, active and into this. Um, it is again what it is. These seem these are going to be real fights. Of course, it's a little bit different. Although you get some of the pro it's an wrestling exhibition. This is a part about it. It's an exhibition. Now it's Florida. Florida is like the least amount of commission you could have and still yes, have yes. a commission. So I don't like. By the way, dude, what are the fucking weights for this? Uh, I, I don't know. Those that information has not gone public. The Logan Paul Floyd specifics yet. So hopefully we get yeah. we can get that soon. Uh, to close on Jake here though, Luke. And something look, it's it's for all we know until Showtime releases details. It's a one fight deal. We'll see who he fights next. But I don't think when you look at the totality of of how Jake has made his name in the fight sphere lately. It's by having beefs with MMA fighters, to be honest with you, right? It's DC getting out of his announcing chair and going face to face. It's Usman and him back and forth. And oh, by the way, remember that time he threw the water balloons at Dylan Dennis uh, on on uh, Food Truck Diaries with Brandon Schaub, a Showtime production there? So some of these sort of things have been planted in, in the beginning that, that this makes a lot of sense. Bellator MMA is the exclusive property of Viacom CBS, which is a Showtime uh, company. So, Luke, I wonder if there's a window here for Jake Paul to get into fights against non-UFC people with, with MMA credentials there, whether it's boxing or, you know, or whatever, and, and can go down that lane. Could he fight Dylan Dennis? Are there fights in that direction? Even Dude, if he can, him in or his MMA, brother... In MMA, he cannot fight Dylan Dennis. No, 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 that's not... I guess that's not necessarily what I'm trying to say on him in that matchup. That'd have to be a boxing matchup. I'm trying to say, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. could he box Tyron Woodley or something in, in a Showtime pay-per-view? I, I mean, I could it, with Logan Paul's background in wrestling, could that lead to some Kimbo Dada-like fight under the belt? Or Who knows, Luke? But it is interesting, again, if you care about that and if that gets you up at all. Closing on this, Luke, because it was surprising news, it seemed that Triller had built their model around Weed, Snoop, and, and, and Jake Paul. Now, we've seen Ryan Cavanaugh, the CEO, give public comments. I want to shout out Mark Ramondi of ESPN who broke this Jake Paul story. And Cavanaugh also spoke with Mike Coppinger of The Athletic. Look, I don't know if you've seen these comments. They seemed um, interesting that he pivoted away so quickly, giving Jake Paul love and his flowers on the way out, but saying he was never part of our long-term plan anyway. Uh, you know, yeah, we were only we had run our course on him. We can't put him in a main event moving forward anyway. Like, it's all comments that just like, oh, you're saying this now? How bad of a, of a blow, seriously, was this for Triller? 
who no longer has Mike Tyson. You got Roy Jones su- potentially suing him, as you mentioned, and didn't get paid. Nobody cares about the Holyfield fight against uh, against the guy who beat Tyson. Uh, you you got Teofimo, but for one fight and you overpaid. And then they just announced the pay-per-view prices have gone up another $10. This don't feel good, Luke. Uh, I think it's funny. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's always amazing to me after Triller did that one event and everyone's like, dude, they're redefining the game. And I'm always like, you fucking wet behind the ear children. Do you not understand? We have seen this shit over and over and over before. They're not reinventing everything. They're making all the same old mistakes. They've just got venture capital money to just burn in your face. That That's the difference. And now it's amazing to watch what these institutional powers inside boxing have done. They have let Triller do the work for them, in the case of Top Rank, that they don't want to do. And in the case of Showtime, scooped up the only real engine of possible growth or any kind of future planning that they had. It's, it's. I mean, I, do I want to call it a death blow? I don't think that they ever had anything other than a death certificate anyway in terms of this whole fighting business. Uh so best of luck to him, you know, but it's weird when your CEO is writing tweets to Dana White, which he then pays to promote so other people can see it. It's like that dude probably, you know, I don't know. Like he, I just get the vibe that he's one of those dudes in the Vegas casino elevator with way too much cologne on, you know? this. The, I, look, seriously, until we see anything different, this feels like a death blow. Uh, the, it's going to be interesting to see how Triller pivots out of this. The Teofimo fight, which they raised the price of, People are only going to care up to a certain level. They did announce musical acts, Luke, which I didn't think they were. But it's like, is this a pivot now to, to covering boxing a traditional way? Or are they going to do things that even go further than the last fight card from the standpoint of just ridiculousness? I don't know. It seems like this fight card, the tail one, is more about boxing. And if it's going to be more about boxing, can you compete in this space with without having people under contract that are big draws? I don't think so. So uh, we'll see how they pivot away from this, but that's a major factor in this news just the same. So uh, that's that, Luke. We close this week with a really good, no, let's say it's a, a great freaking boxing fight championship this Saturday, ESPN. I believe it starts 8 p.m. Eastern, the main card there. Jose Ramirez, you're unbeaten, unified 140-pound champion, against the other unbeaten, unified, 140-pound champion in Scotland's Josh Taylor. Good God, Luke. Uh, For everything we just said about Jake Paul, that's a slice in the larger boxing pie. It's the celebrity crossover circus entertainment pie. Ramirez Taylor is steak dinner in the traditional boxing fair. This is as great as it gets for a fight that appeals to the hardcores, a fight that matters, has historical elements, and just a perfect matchup. Two counterpunchers who love to mix it up when it gets hairy. One a Southpaw and Taylor, one traditional Orthodox and Ramirez. Both unbeaten, two belt champions who are hungry to make their name the old-fashioned way. They're not big, you know, trash talkers or have a social media, you know, profile that's too large or anything. They're just gutsy fighters. Both have won key important fights to get to this spot. Ramirez knocked out Maurice Hooker in a, in a brawl in 2019. Taylor outlasted Rougarou in that thriller over 12 rounds the same year. Luke, you're the guy who can come in and out on these sometimes. Oh, BC says watch this one, then I'm going to commit my full yearns to it. My full, I'll, I'll take off, I'll just put it right on the screen, right? How fired up are you for Ramirez Taylor? So Taylor, I have seen box a few times, and I've always really enjoyed um, his fights. And I learned my lesson after your last recommendation on the Burchelt. Um, who's the other guy he fought? 
Um, Oscar Valdez. Valdez. I learned my lesson talking shit ahead of time to you about your boxing recommendations for fights that were coming up. Yeah, you uh, did a reverse I, risen, Luke. You did a reverse risen to yeah, me. Yeah, basically. That, and you cut me in my heart. Yeah. Yeah, So, but but I learned my lesson. I learned my lesson because that shit was amazing. And so I don't – I frankly would be lying to the audience and to you if I told you I had seen a ton of tape on Jose Ramirez. But I absolutely am excited for it. And it, it's not really just you. Dude, if you just get on boxing Twitter and just scroll – everybody is saying the exact same thing you are. Now, is there any guarantee about anything in life? I guess we'll have to see what this fight looks like. It could suck. But, dude, between you and the rest of everyone else I follow, salivating like a Pavlovian dog when the bell is being rung over this fight, I have no choice but to watch, and I'm frankly highly intrigued. All right, Josh Taylor, a minus 227 favorite under William Hill. Plus 200 is Ramirez. Let me break it down Ooh. if you don't know these guys. So Ramirez from Fresno, California, Mexican-American fighter. Great person and, and gentleman outside the ring. Is a pillar of his community, raises money for cancer, all this great stuff. Helps out with the water shortage. I mean, he's, he's a great guy. You don't care about that. You care about in the ring. Jose Ramirez is the little engine that could in elite boxing. On the surface, he looks like a guy who's got warning track power in every category. Uh, he's, yeah, he's quick, but not quick enough, right? He's a technical boxer, but he brawls a little too much. You know what I mean? He's a brawler, yet he's not a big puncher. There seems to be all these reasons why he shouldn't be a super elite and in the spot he is. Yet here's what he has, that superpower, that, that intangible that some of the greats have. He can rise to the occasion in the key moment, in the key round of the key fight. He can just step up. He's an excellent, smooth combination puncher. He'll give up his height and reach and bend forward and go in the phone booth with you. That's about guaranteed. But along with that, when you have that style, Luke, when you're a bit of an overachiever, you can be in some tough fights that people aren't sure you won. He fought Jose Zepeda. Remember that guy last year, Luke, who beat Baranchik in that fight of the year with all those knockdowns? And it went, you know, it went the distance. And I, th I thought Zepeda edged him. Ramirez got the decision. We saw Ramirez last year against Victor Postal, the former champion. Another one of those, you know, did Ramirez do enough? Well, he got a majority decision in a fight, which I thought he won. But there's questions there. Can he raise it to the level he's going to have to be when he's looking in the mirror at a guy who's very similar to him in terms of being an elite in every category except for power where Taylor has the advantage? And is that going to be the reason why mm. Ramirez has overachieved and come so far, right? Like a NCA team in the tourney who's, you know, good, but they're, they're, you know, they're good for their conference. Are they good? For the whole country well they keep upsetting people okay you know st joe's in 2004 with jameer nelson you get the point i'm going here have they run into though the, the killer so here's what josh taylor is a southpaw who fights so well at distance because he's got length he can jab he can play he can he can outbox you if you make him but luke he loves to fight and we didn't know until that ruguru fight when he got put in the woodshed there down the stretch that he can dig in and fight he fought Postal two years earlier, but he won a wide decision. And a good fight, but he had won a wide decision. But the Ruguru fight, he proved to us that he's the real deal. If Ramirez and Taylor, which has huge expectations to be a 12-round high-paced war, not a reckless war, but a, a technical war, if it plays to that, and Luke, I don't see how it doesn't play to that. I might have to side with Josh Taylor, who I talked to on Morning Combat. You can check out that interview. When he says, I love Ramirez, everything about him, but he's going to, you know, this one's not going 12. I'm going to knock him out. He's going to be looking up at the lights from his seat. I, that, to me, is the difference in this fight. The power is the difference. They're just about even in everything. Ramirez is going to have to find some way to get around that. 
I don't know if getting around that is just through activity and try to win rounds and go the distance by activity. I don't know. Ramirez is so tough and ballsy, Luke. He may dig in and think he can, uh, you know, knock him out and get in a war with him. In fact, he probably will get in a war with him. Does Ramirez have that extra, extra room in his ceiling and, and potential to get to that? I don't think he does, Luke, but he has proved me wrong in the past. And that's why this fight rules, along with the fact that it's two unbeatens. They bring two titles together each. We're going to get an undisputed champion at 140 pounds. It's th This has only happened in the four-belt era, Luke. What, five times on the men's side, three times on the female side. Terrence Crawford did it in this division in 2017 when he knocked out Julius Ndongo. But who the hell's Julius Ndongo, right? Like, that guy getting two belts and getting into that fight was sort of an upset to get there, too. These are two evenly matched guys that want to be great. And, Luke, did you hear the caveat that Bob Arum's putting on this? Mm -mm. Grandpa. We know that Terrence Crawford's top-ranked deal is running out in, in October. He's not getting Manny. He's not getting Spence. He's not getting anybody, it seemed like. Now we got Aram saying Crawford could face the winner later this fall. That's a, that's a power move by Bob to throw that in the mix here. Crawford's the last guy to be the undisputed 140 champion. Imagine if the winner of Ramirez-Taylor on Saturday fights Crawford next in a, in a super fight. Seriously, it's a, you know, maybe not a super fight from pay-per-view buys, but a super fight in boxing. That, yeah. that makes this even sexier, Luke. Yeah, yeah, that's a hell of Jesus, I did not know that. You know what? I'll take that fight. I'll take that fight. That's a great fight. I love that. But styles-wise, do not miss this. It's going to be a it's going to be a fun fight. In the, Luke, it's one of those where you know the two men involved will do whatever it takes to win, and you don't get that even in every time, right? Even in elite fights, you don't know that about that person, right? And this is going to air on ESPN or ESPN Plus. Yeah, I think it's regular ESPN. So uh, Jose Cepeda is back in the co-main there against uh, the husk of Hammer and Hank Lundy, so you can see that. But uh, cannot miss that fight. I got Josh Taylor for now. We'll see what happens. But I did have sound with Josh Taylor, Luke, and um, he, he he turned the Paul brothers into a bit of a urinal cake here, talking about uh, where the, his fight stands in the boxing lexicon. Maybe we're getting more attention for Jones versus Tyson and Paul versus whomever. But here's Josh Taylor's take. On the, on the scene heading into this Romero showdown on Saturday. They're doing what they want to do. They're making a lot of money. They're marketing themselves right. They're doing well. So fair play to them. But I think they should maybe do their own sort of setups and doing their own fights and own shows because they're making an absolute mockery of the sport. They're turning into an absolute circus, um, which is very frustrating for fighters like myself and other top fighters, contenders who put their whole life and soul into this uh, into this fight fight game and these guys are coming in and making a mockery of it acting like they're real fighters and and doing all this circus wwe stuff set up uh, set up um confrontations and things like that it's, it's it's not the wrestling game this is a sport it's a fight game and uh, they're disrespecting it that way you know they say uh, i think they should go and do their own thing well luke they'll be doing their own thing on showtime moving forward so uh... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I understand what he's saying, but, you know, no. All right, all right. Well, look, I don't know if he's wrong, but, uh, you know, sometimes you and I are, though. You want to transition to that? Let's do it. Time to pay the piper. The bills all right. do. Each week at morningcombat at gmail.com is the email address that's preferred for you to send your uh, fan submissions on Wednesday. And every Friday, we sit on the L. We straddle it because sometimes we are dead wrong. Uh. 
The seven different levels of devil worshiping, horse and sex, human sacrifices, cannibalism, candles, and exorcism. All right, keep going. Okay, Luke. Uh, wow, let's take some L's here. Here we go. Uh, first one from Michael, Connor, and Animesh. On last Thursday's live chat, Luke made the, for some reason, incredibly common mistake of saying Wonder Boy, meaning Stephen Thompson, has lost twice to Tyron Woodley. Dead wrong, mofo. He had lost once to Woodley. The first fight was scored a draw, however. Couldn't agree more with the questioner in that live chat, by the way. Wonder Boy deserves another go if he wins his next fight. One loss yeah. to the former champ shouldn't forever ban you from con from contention. All the best from Michael in Ireland. So a, a, a huge Wonder Boy super fan. Yes, yes. I got that wrong, but I have to tell you, I don't feel like I'm wrong, so I'm not going to <laughs> No, we do. Whenever you and I talk about the the welterweight title picture, for whatever reason, in the UFC, I, I tend to forget Wonder Boy. And and to he has rebuilt himself nicely, Luke. But he's also entering that age where it's like, can he hold this together? Does he have one more super run? I'll run? say, if he beats Gilbert Burns, then yeah, you can give him a title shot. I think that's pretty fair. All right, uh, let's see. Uh, Lane has jumped in. He says on Friday, May fourteenth, show. Luke said that our is it Arjan Bular? Is that my, am I pronouncing that correct? Arjun Buller, I, but you know I don't fucking know. Arjun Buller. You said Luke that he quote wrestled for the Canadians, although he's obviously natively from India. Hey yes. Luke, while his background is Indian, like yours by the way, Luke, I added that. My uh, background is not Indian, but okay. Bular was actually born in Vancouver, BC. Regards from the true north, strong and free. By the way, that is a line from the English version of the Canadian National Anthem. It refers to the country of Canada, similarly to how land of the free and home of the brave refers to the United States. So, Luke, Lane just gave us a, uh, a history lesson about that country up north, which produces uh, plenty of MMA personalities, including my favorite, Aaron Bronstetter. But, uh, Luke, uh, your thoughts on this L you took from your... I, I, I mean, I guess I didn't even... I wasn't trying to claim that he like grew up in india just that he is of indian descent which is pretty true okay um but okay. you're right if i intimated he was born in fucking wherever other than canada then that's wrong take that rewind it back all right take uh that. hey matt is here he says hi guys mc here mc what are you what you got you got one of those no like, look, look, look at what's this fucker's name actual name matt Matt. Yeah, Matt. Look at me, Matt. No one calls you MC. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, he says, Luke, at about 38 minutes in the UFC 262 post-show, you said Benil Darius was 36. He's actually only 32, despite the salt and pepper. So take your dead uh, wrong. Given I the thought time he was of, older. Given the time of night, it's easily forgiven. I just wanted to contribute and maybe make Luke, ma Luke mad with this. Thanks so much for all your work the last year. When you went to three days a week, my lockdown experience improved massively. So thanks yep. for helping everything. Can't wait to see what you got in store for us this year. BC, thanks for the laughs. For a simple factory town, man, you should be proud to have exceeded your upper bound limits so dramatically. Ain't that the freaking truth there, Matt? And he went on to say, uh, yeah, we make it look easy. We all know that. Okay. Wow, that's very nice, Luke. You'll take the L there, right? I'll take the L. Yep. Okay. That's fair. Hey, Luke, this one's for me, and I got a lot of attention from John, Michael, Billy, John, Michael, again, Jordan, Cameron. Brian Ortega is dating MMA fighter Tracy Cortez, not politician serving as UFC, 
representative for New York known as AOC. Brian Campbell confused Tracy Cortez with <laughs> Alex Cortez. I'm not sure if he meant Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, but that is dead wrong. That was dead wrong. How do we Apparently, know? Got... How do we know that Ortega hasn't banged AOC? Maybe he has. Oh, come on. Now you're trying now you're trying to get us canceled here, Luke. Uh, I even made the Borancino Depot Twitter uh, for that one, Luke. You know, that's uh, the one that Schaub was on there talking about Hitler or something. I mean, there's some wild things that yeah, go they, on. That yeah, they, they catch they catch me a couple of times as well. I can't. I can't oh, yeah. You much. got you got trapped in a bad area, Luke. Bad part of yeah, town on your live chat. Good. God. Yeah, what are you gonna uh, do? yeah, it happens to some people. Uh, so, yeah, I'll take that out. Luke, I don't know if I was thinking of AOC or we have we have a. Um, a female on our staff named Alex. I don't know. I, something was going on in my head. But oh God, you're Brian fucking Lincoln. weird. Why would you say that? I'm not linking her <laughs> to the Christ. to the topic. I'm saying you talk to your. Unlike you, I talk to the staff before the show. I don't know. I don't know if yeah, she's dude, ever met. Apparently, Brian you're talking I'm to not, him afterwards as well. I'm not trying to do matchup Monday here, but listen, I will say. Listen. Luke, BC, I don't know what the rules are in Connecticut, but where I live, you can't masturbate at the bus stops. You need to get yourself <laughs> under control. <laughs> I know. I don't have the audacity to be like, I'm above the, the Paul brothers fighting. I'm like, who the, the best fuck am part I kidding? About that, I'm a nothing. The best part about that is Luke doesn't know anyone's name who works on our show. So that's really the best part about that. So uh, I call you BC it, because I don't know what the B or the C stands I mean, for. You understand? Luke, does it matter if we got the names wrong? Brian Ortega is still, still a very, very elite Luke. Okay. So yeah, he is. Uh, he's your Bo Jackson of just. <laughs> oh, Bonin Jackson, yeah. Uh, hey, Luke, a lot of attention on our final L of the week from Ibrahim, Marty, Rob, Stephen, and many more. This is in regards to Luke and Real Madrid. He claimed that he started becoming a fan during 2006-2007 where the Messi-Ronaldo rivalry was at its peak. Well, I said Ronaldo, yeah. like, by accident there, Luke. Yeah, yeah, However. However, Cristiano Ronaldo only signed to Real Madrid in 2009 from Manchester United. So then it must have been therefore, later. Yeah. Therefore, Luke's claim of the said Ronaldo-Messi rivalry is clearly dead wrong. Luke, I don't care about this. Yeah. You taking the L? Yeah, yeah. No, no. I, 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 if you go back and listen to the tape, I wasn't sure about the year. But that's right, because it was in full swing, yeah. so it must have been a little bit later. It must have been 2000. I don't care about that's soccer. Fine. I don't care who that's you fine. cheer for. I do care about exposing hypocrisy, Luke. And that's what that yes, was Yes, that's, that's, that's great. Uh, but it, to this person's – they're, they're correct with this. I had the date wrong, for sure. For sure. Okay. Okay. Hey, Luke, our final segment of the week um, – is a thing called tip to tip. Each Friday, we, we 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 pick something out in the world that maybe you should be taking notice of. We give a shout out to somebody. We tell you to buy this product. Whatever it is, we touch tips every Friday. We don't actually touch tips every Friday. That'd you be know, weird. Metaphorically, Luke, because I I'm not into that in in terms of like the physicality of it. But you know, it's 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 a spirit, right? It, it, this are is we who the we are. Paul brothers of MMA podcasts? What are we? That so that's an interesting point too. Uh, that is. Uh, Fuck. Does that make? Which I'll one tell am you I? what. We, you know what? I'll tell you what we are, Luke. The best. Yeah, low may whore is what yeah, we are. Yeah. Wow. Hey, Luke. What do you got for a tip this week? You always send it in like two minutes after the show starts, so I never get to see it. Well, I put a lot of thought into it, as you can tell. But in this particular case, actually, BC, I was uh, with the wife. I was watching a little bit of Netflix late at night. The baby was asleep, and we. It's weird. I don't know what happened in my life, but between college and like two years ago, there's like a shit ton of movies that I just completely ignored and missed, which Netflix is pretty good about recycling. So there's this movie that came on 
All I saw was Ben Affleck was in it and Russell Crowe was in it. It's called State of Play. And two reasons why you should watch it. It's not the world's best movie by any stretch of imagination, but it's actually a pretty decent movie on its own. It's one of these like political corruption thrillers. There's a nice twist at the end. A little long. It's about two hours and some change. But if you're looking for like a, you know, nothing that will change your life, but a good way to kill a couple hours for something kind of fun, you got a great opportunity. The reason why I also bring it up there, BC, is because I see a lot of movies that are like, filmed in dc like wonder woman 1984 which was kind of filmed here but like not in a way that you could tell this is the point they always like film it and then it it's never really an accurate representation of the city uh state of play actually did a really good job with showing actual places in the city over and over and over again and like how to connect them and what they all mean and whatnot um they, they edited a little bit. There's one scene where he walks outside of 17th and L Street and then ends up at Ben's Chili Bowl, which is on the other side of town. So they played some games with that a little bit. But in general, I was actually blown away at how authentic the city looked throughout the course of the two hours. They did it right. Um, and here's a little, here's a little bonus little bonus for you. Isn't L, the, isn't, quick, quickly, isn't L Street where you lived uh, before our careers came together? <laughs> I, I own property there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but in all in all uh, reality, there was a place I used to get my hair cut called the Grooming Lounge, which was on, um, was it L or M? I think it's L. L in Connecticut, basically. And they turned the place next door to that into the Washington Globe, uh, which was the, the fake newspaper in there. It's supposed to be like the Post. Uh, it was right there where I got my hair cut, you know, for, for years. So, uh, cool little movie. Check it out. I think that's, I, by the way, I always pop for that. I think it's cool when there's a location in a movie that is, you know, near your house or something, you, you know, you can connect to in that regard. Uh, you, sleepers, Luke sleepers, right? The creepy movie sleepers. with Kevin Bacon where he touched those kids that there was like one scene that was filmed in my hometown, Naugatuck, Connecticut at some condo complex, just random one scene when they, when they fished the guy out who, who had touched the kids, what probably yeah, happened. Was it, well, yeah, when they, when, when <laughs> they filmed it in Naugatuck, Connecticut, was the scene that someone who died from autoerotic asphyxiation in a Motel 6? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, in uh, War of the Worlds with Tom Cruise, the final scene as he's running outside was also fi uh, filmed at the old factories there in Naugatuck, Connecticut. So, can I, can uh, I, I tell love you, I've never seen that movie? Yeah, it's, it's not my type of deal, but... um. It, it, this did feel like a very niche tip, Luke, to, to the D.C. area at the same time. But uh, Hey, you know. I recommended a good movie first. How about that? Uh, my mine are very niche to people who enjoy vinyl records and great music, though, Luke. So you probably hate this one. Uh, I mentioned my favorite Canadian. not Well, more Ronaldo, definitely. But in terms of Canadian MMA print journalists and, and on-camera guys that don't call fights for Bellator, I'd have to go Aaron Bronstetter. Why, Luke? Because he's a strong human. He's got weird takes, and, and, and he's a weird dude, but we love him. Um, he's a great, he's my jazz shaman at the moment. He's my Josh Fabia, Luke. Okay. Of the directions I should be going. Does he, does he also have power of attorney? <laughs> well, he does run our only fans account, uh, uh, AB and I, uh, so Bronstetter has been, uh, in my ear a lot as I DM him, my takes on seventies jazz fusion legends, right? When I'm like, bro, that 76 Jaco Pistorius, Pistorius solo album is the greatest thing that's ever happened. We're going back and forth. We're talking Herbie. We're talking everything, but you know what he always says, Luke, because his, he spends most of his life collecting and trading records. He says the jazz of today, modern jazz. He's like, it's as good or better. Than the jazz back then, or the '70s fusion that you're that you're face peeling every day, right? Luke, I said I don't have time for this shit. Why? Because Luke, when I get into something, 
I can't just like hear one thing and be, I've got to stop the music. I've got to stop the train, get off, and invest everything I have into that one thing for as long as the feeling lasts. That's what I'm doing with Morning Combat right now. That's why I come out guns blazed and Luke. Eventually, the, the feeling's going to end. Eventually, I'll walk away. But right now, Luke, I am invested. But then he sent me this brand new jazz record that came out last weekend. It's called Black to the Future by the band Sons of Kemet. They have the that lead singer. That sounds like a porn. They have the lead singer. Or I'm, I mean, the lead man, Shabaka Hutchins from England, who plays uh, clarinet and sax and is just amazing. Uh, Luke, I put this thing on last weekend when it came out, and I haven't turned it off yet. It is just new, fresh, experimental, in-your-face, real uh, jazz music that's got African themes in, in music, Caribbean things you can hear. I mean, there's just a lot going on. Hey, look, it's a four-piece band with two drummers, a sax and clarinet guy, and a tuba. That's it. No keyboards, no guitar, no bass. It's, it's just some of uh, Look, it's art. It is next-level art. I haven't been this moved in terms of something, you know, it's like when you heard the Velvet Underground for the first time or, or something, you know, or, or OK Computer by Radiohead or, or Pink Floyd or whatever. You're just like, this is just another thing altogether. So, Luke, my tip of the week is there's some great stuff going on in the real world in, in 2021 in jazz. And Aaron Bronstetter has led me there. So uh, thank you, Sons of Kemet. Uh, thank you. Uh, by the way, have you, there, you there, there's no way you've heard of them, but there's a metal band called Rivers of Nile, N-A-N-I-H-I-L. Um, okay. They have a saxophone player in the band. How that's, about that? Okay, that's... So, I look, as I'm dude, unlocking in 20, the in 2019, right now, In 2019, they had the album wild. of the year. Like, they're very good. You know, I'm, I'm interested because of the, the, the shattering of the art myth there, bringing in the saxophone to metal. It's like, you know, yeah. do I love the flute playing in, in, in Jethro Tull? Not always, but it's, 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 there's some chances that were taken in the 70s, Luke. This, God, is, this sounds Jethro interesting. Jethro Tull? Could we be? I mean, they're, they're, dude, they're making, we haven't talked about this. I don't love them. I don't love them. Dude, I respect it's just, them. It's such an them. old man reference, fucking Jethro Tull. All right, I, I like the flute playing in the Marshall Tucker band, though. That, that's really good. I, I can't I mean, vouch for that's not much better. But I was gonna say, like, there's a there's a boxing event or some kind of fighting event between YouTubers versus TikTokers, and yes, Michael Buffer yeah. hosted the press conference. Did you see this shit? Yeah, it'll it'll be in have you actually it'll be in have you seen this shit on Monday. Oh, okay. I wish I had it keyed up now. Luke, how much is too much money, Michael Buffer? Like, like, no, seriously, how much is too much money? You took that check, really? Like, really? Uh, yeah, yeah. Dude, he likes cash. I. What do you want me to say? You know, like. My man loves I mean, to get checks. I mean, you've even had those conversations with your wife, right? Where it's like, oh, I got 18 work trips in the next 15 weeks. Then she's like, you know, Luke, how much is too much here? You know, you're already well known. You've got so many followers. We're in a great house and a great community. We can afford your tattoo addiction. What else? <laughs> what, do we really need that? Do you really need to go to Miami for YouTubers, Luke? That's what she said to you. I know she did. You, no, she actually asked how big is the check? <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, you know what? She wasn't fucking around. She was like, how much is the fucking check? And I was like, yeah. She's like, okay. She might come, by the way. We'll see. Oh, wow. With, no. She read, I don't travel. Think she's ready for She'll travel. MK life. She might bring, she might bring, uh, she might bring me Eha with her. We'll see. What does that, what does that translate to? My daughter. Okay. I was like, Abuela, I'll, I'll hang with her. Look, you know, we could, we could do a spinoff pod, right? Keep. Keep your filthy, filthy, white trash hands 
off my in-laws. All right. Well, let's Luke, let's end the show on that this week. A uh, great shout out to all you viewers and listeners. Thank you for patronizing us and allows us to patronize you on the regular. Uh, I also shout out to our staff, Malka, Showtime, CBS Sports, uh, Manich, Gaff, Sally, you know, Al Wendling, all the people on the ones and twos here. Mikey Mormau, we appreciate you and love you. Enjoy the fights this weekend. I want you to go to store.show.com, of course, to get that merch 1.0 up on your skin, right? Right? How's that feel? You know what I'm saying? Uh, hopefully, we'll have an update on the new stuff. Like and subscribe. Showtime.com, your 30-day free trial. Start off with the action documentary. It's it's fantastic. It's it's betting in Las Vegas. It's sports betting, and there's a bunch of weird people. It's, it's great. you you, you got to get some of that. Uh, Luke, any final message here? Did I forget anything? Don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts where you can also leave us a question for the mailbag episode. Please, please, please. Also, uh, in addition to checking out all our interviews this week from Josh Taylor to Chris Cyborg to Valerie Lareda, I had a really good chat with Gervonta Davis yesterday. It's going to go up later today on the Morning Combat channel. He's, of course, headlining the Showtime uh, Boxing Pay-Per-View June 26th. He's moving up two divisions to take on Mario Barrios for a secondary title at 140. But I got Tank to kind of talk at length in in a way that he doesn't always do, so it was great to see. Uh, Check that out. So Did he talk about about his... uh indiscretions yeah generally not you know somewhat you know i brought it up i'm you know i was like look bro you're kind of a kind of a villain right now do you care about that you know you know what i'm saying do you want to be a hero do you just want people to buy the pay-per-views what do you want out of life and he he answered it luke all right we'll see look we all just want to be happy at the end of the day that is what is most important okay i feel you dude i feel you hey by the way taking my daughter to her first soccer game on sunday how about that? So this is what DC United. DC United taking on Philadelphia Union, and then I got a I got a uh, it's an Audi field which is outdoors. I got a note from DC United saying, "Oh, by the way, as of today, in your nation's capital here in Los Estados Unidos, uh, almost everything is fully open. Uh, sports venues and I think like clubs are fifty percent." Um, but restaurants and everything else, a hundred percent mask mandate. If you're outdoors, they dropped it. So I, if you're fully vaccinated, no mask at the game, your boy is about to be happy. It's going to be awesome. Can't wait. Just be careful. You may have invited some MMA fans to show up at that game. You know, (laughs) MMA fans don't like, uh, stick and ball sports. So I doubt it. Okay. All right. Uh, I love doing this show. Thank you for watching it. Uh, big things to come for the MK brand. It's, it's coming. (laughs) It's just like, you know, just, yeah, wow. Uh, for Luke Thomas, my name is Brian Campbell. Uh, you know, yeah, it's been a good show. So, all right, guys, great show. Bye. We <laughs> this this shit's still on. Yeah, it's still going. Uh, if only our viewers knew how much we hated them, Luke. You know what I mean? It's just, wow, these guys are the worst, right? Yeah. Wow. All right. All right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Can we end this? Can we end this? Uh, we out.